heard about Anchor, it is the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your own phone or computer. Anchor will also distribute your podcast so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more podcast platforms. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. We finally get to talk real football. It's a beautiful thing. Preseason games are done. Cuts are going to be happening in about the next 48 hours. It feels feels good. It's also to my 175th episode of all time. We got Big Rat 310. Greg Cover 1. Greg, Tom set. I hope I said that right. You have a Pats fan. You have a Bills fan. You have a Dolphins fan. So there might be some passive-aggressive shots towards each other. But the three of us are here to talk about a game we love. But first, um, as always, look, sometimes you got to oh, – before we start, actually – so I just want to send a quick thoughts out to Brian Robinson from the Commanders. A horrible tragedy tonight with an attempted carjacking. He got shot a couple times, so I was hoping for the best for him, but he's back on the field soon. But the one thing I want to start talking on, I'm not going to mention him by name, but I'm just going to say the initials. I think we know where we're going to go here, and I'm going to let Greg take the floor with it because obviously he's the Bills fan. This is a story that's closer to him than Big Rat or I. Yeah, it's um, obviously crazy. So I, I want to start. Um, obviously, this is a horrific situation that uh, all thoughts and attention should be on the victim here and everything that she's gone through. Um, and that if true, the people involved should be in prison. So super easy. Um, this is horrific to, to read through and to deal with um, removing ourselves from that. This is a football discussion. Um, so we're not going to go down the path of, of those kind of things. It is a situation where, you know, I have a lot of frustration with, you know, should the bills have done a better job looking into things earlier? Should they have known about this ahead of time? If we kind of park those the answer to both those is yes, they should have, they should have done more. They should have known earlier, but the fact that they didn't, that they found out on Thursday night and then within 48 hours released him is about the most I can ask. That's about the most I can ask there. So lots of things that should have been better, Lots of things they could have done to avoid ever being in this situation. Some missteps in some of the statements, you know, saying that they had a comprehensive, you know, uh, e- examination, things like that, when they were obviously still looking into it. Um, I don't know that this, the press conference last night was perfect from being in the, I think the legal team told them things they were allowed to say and not allowed to say, and they made it come off a little weird. So um, obviously, hopeful that everybody can move past it, but it it was a horrific, embarrassing situation that, you know, won't go away. Yeah. You said it really perfectly there, Greg. It's just one of those situations, like you said, I think, yeah, could have been handled better. Sure. But at the same time too, it's one of those situations where for what the circumstances were as a whole, they did a fairly good job at it. I'm only saying that because I feel like this is one of those subjects where it's you, I, I, even myself, that's just a, Guy likes to talk football for fun. You want to be careful with what you say just because that's how the internet is nowadays. But I listened to – not listen, but I like saw the transcripts a little bit from McDermott's press conference. And I, I know you said this, that the whole thing with the legal team basically telling them probably, hey, you can say this, don't say that. But I like the fact that he spoke more like a human being than a football yeah. coach. That's one thing where, look, even coming from a rival's perspective, I just like the fact that he put a human element to it and realized, look – more than the situation that his now ex-player is involved in, there's a human being at here whose life has been altered forever by 
however many people were involved. I think it was two yeah. or three. Yeah. So that's just what I, I wanted to say more or less. I think that they for they handled the situation for as good as they could. Could they have done stuff sooner? Yes. But you know what? The past is the past. You just have to move forward. And I also like seeing – I don't know why, but I feel like ever since I started this podcast, I get tapped into many different fan bases. And sometimes a lot of that's Bill's fans. And I see them posting stuff saying that they were selling Punt God shirts on certain sites that oh. now, hey, if you want a different shirt, return it, no charge. It's 100%. it's little things like that that kind of like make you look past the rivalry and kind of see that, hey, deep down at the end of the day, do we love football? Yes. But at the end of the day, we're all human beings and we're all here to support one another. So the fact that there's that human element to it, I think speaks volumes compared to what we've seen in Cleveland over the last few months. I'm not going to go down that, that rabbit hole. I'm just saying the way that they handled it is the way that Houston and Cleveland should have handled it. And I commend Bean and McDermott for that. Well said. I, I I think you both captured that conversation perfectly. Like, I really don't even want to add anything else. I think that elegantly captured the situation very nicely. And now hopefully everyone can move on. Yeah. So now we get to talk some football. We're the first, I was going to talk about our division first, but yep. I was going to say, you know what? Save that for last. Save the best for last. Smart. AFC West is the one division this year that, look – I know Greg and I are talking about it on off air, right? Big rap, right before you joined us. How for 20 years it was the Patriots serving the basically have your cake and eat it too. Now it's the Bills' turn. But for years when the Patriots are dominant, no one really came to play with when it like truly challenged. That's not the case this year with the AFC West. You have four teams who are all making legitimate cases to potentially challenge the Chiefs. But there's a little voice inside my head saying, I can see the Chiefs winning this division again. I know, you know, I understand all the arguments on paper for the Chargers. It is a really impressive roster. I'd like to see, you know, Herber and and their team have a winning record or make the playoffs first before we start handing them the, you know, AFC favorites and things. Um, So they're very, very good. I do expect them to make the playoffs. I do expect them to make noise. But if you're telling me that, You've given Patrick Mahomes now possibly like a top five offensive line in the NFL, and he's going to have time all day. That's a scary, scary situation. I'm, I'm curious about their defense. I think there are some there. There's a lot pinned on Frank Clark and Chris Jones, who weren't as good last year as what they had been. Um, I think that people are underplaying the Raiders, uh, and I think the Broncos, when you have as much talent as they had and you had Russell Wilson, is still very, very good. So, you know, the fact that it's not crazy all four teams could make the playoffs is bonkers. Um, But I'd still, even though I get the excitement, there's not a lot of holes on that Chargers roster. There's a lot of shiny, pretty names. I, I still pick the Chiefs too. Yeah, I would say the Chiefs as well. And the one comment I'd say on your comment about how the Patriots had their time and now the Bills have their time and the competition wasn't the same. Remember, there was that stat that the AFC sent Peyton, Brady, and Big Ben to the Super Bowl every year. Like the depth of the quarterback play wasn't what it is now, where it seems like 12 of the 16 teams either have someone for sure or have a young guy that they're hoping on. So I think that speaks to it. That like the level of competition is a lot fiercer. It doesn't take away from your Patriots, doesn't take away from what they accomplished, but there is a broader depth of teams right now in terms of competition level. And uh, yeah, I would generally agree on the Chiefs. The defense losing Honey Badger and losing Tredavious Ward is not ideal, uh, since they were two of the better players they had on that secondary. Which could maybe you kind of saw some fractures last year. Maybe it can take another step back with those or with those losses as well. But I do agree on the offensive line and on Andy Reid generally. Um, we'll talk about Tyreek when we get to my team. Uh, I do think 
he matters more than like other typical receivers for reasons I'm sure we'll talk about, but they have a lot of different, like in poker, when they say you have a lot of outs in terms of getting out of a hand, that's what the Chiefs kind of have in their receiver room. It's like, maybe you believe MBS will be a good fit to take those deep shots that Tyreek was taking. Maybe you believe McCall Harbin will improve now that he'll play more without Tyreek there. Maybe you'll believe Juju will have a resurgence in his career. Maybe you'll believe Sky Moore was a really talented second round pick that a lot of people were really high on. You have a lot of outs. Like, you don't need all these guys to hit. Like, the odds that one or two of them has a surprising 900-yard season out of nowhere, all of a sudden that changes. Things don't look that bad. And it heightens the quality of your receiver room from there. So I think they have a lot of different paths to victory, as we would say. And the offensive line, I think Brandon Thor from Establish the Run, I believe he rated their offensive line second in the league, second in the entire NFL, behind only the Eagles. Like, the Bucs were known as having a great line. They've obviously had a lot of injuries issues. The Cowboys were known as having a great line. They lost Collins. Tyron Smith's already hurt. You know the drill. The Chiefs are kind of in that level right now, which is crazy to think about. So, yeah, I – you – What's that phrase in boxing and MMA? Like you don't bet against the champ until you see them lose. Have I will happily I will wait to be wrong. Have someone else beat them, and then we'll say we were wrong in December. I'd rather that than bet against them at the start of the year. Yeah, exactly. That's that's the best way I look at it. Because like with them, I keep saying this: Mahomes is gonna be, is still Mahomes. It's like you know how big, right? You've said this before that look. When has Brady won his Super Bowls? It's those years that no one's talking about him. When it's always, hey, there's this new team coming. They're gonna do this. And Tom's right. Tom was always right there. So I see the same thing this year with the Chiefs, where it's like, hey, look, everyone's talking about the rest of the teams in the West. They're talking about Buffalo. They're talking about other teams in the North. I'm not discrediting any of those teams. I'm just saying when it comes to the West, I I can't. Because like what Greg said, we still have to see Justin Herbert in a winning record make the playoffs. We don't know what Russell Wilson, because here's the other thing, too. It's not just Russell Wilson, new quarterback, new team. It's a new coaching staff. It's a new offensive scheme. So we'll see what they produce. Because last year, remember, it was – they're getting similar talk to me like Tampa did in 2020. Remember where it was, oh, the defense was bad. The defense was good, excuse me. The offense was good. It was just the quarterback position. You know my thoughts on Drew Locke very well, Big Rat. For Greg, was never a fan. And also, I was never a Fick Fangio guy either. Um, but I, I could just see them getting off to a slow start and that team being like, oh, is there trouble in Broncos country? What's going on in the Broncos? And then with the Raiders, look, they have pieces. I just – until I see it, I can't trust Derek Carr. I just don't know what it is. It's just one of those things where I can't trust him. So that's why with the Chiefs, and actually the one thing with the Chiefs too is you said Juju with the resurgence. They actually bumped his, uh, I think his bonus salary, or they basically bumped it from, like, I think, 35000 to sixty five. So I think they're really showing, hey, we truly believe in you. Now go out there and produce. I also think, too, there's probably going to be a little bit less off-field distractions. Hopefully I think Andy Reid's one of those coaches that, hey, keep that out of the building. So – more so he can pr- focus on football. But like you said, too, that offensive line, Creed Humphrey is a player that doesn't get talked enough about in the NFL. Mm-hmm. He is a stud at the center position. And I believe if you have a good center, that's just the, the, the guards and the tackles can fill themselves out. But a good center is a strong key to having good success in the NFL. Yeah, it's a monster. Yeah, and I would say with the with the Chargers, I, I did agree uh, with, with basically everything that you guys were saying about the needing to prove it. Um, they kind of – like if you really think about it, like last year's team – their record was maybe kind of closer to the floor or the median expectation of what they should have done. Like, cause they had a lot of these guys were already there. I know they got JC Jackson in, but he's already hurt to start the year. And now they got Khalil Mack on the other side too. who will probably play well, but you, I just feel like as a football fan, we hear this a lot with the chargers in this time of the year. Like this isn't the first time I've heard this topic, maybe not to this level with like the ceiling that people are projecting on them because of how good Herbert is and how balanced out the rest of the roster is. But we usually do hear them, 
have a lot of hype at this time of the year. And then they have like a million injuries and they lose a lot of close games and, you know, all that other stuff. And so I, I'm just not quite ready yet. My question with them is, is their run defense going to improve significantly? Because they were kind of thin at the D tackle position last year. Like Linval Joseph just wasn't the same at that stage of his career. And Kenneth Murray, like, like that famous for that famous play where uh, Josh Jacobs got a first down to get the Raiders in field goal range and knocked them out of the playoffs. Kenneth Murray wasn't even on the field on that play. And they say it was partly because, I mean, this is just from what I've heard from Chargers fans, not knowing myself, they say it's because he really struggles to fit in certain run fits. So, you know, is that stuff going to correct itself? Because even though you don't need a good run defense to be efficient in the NFL, you can't have like the worst in the league, like theirs was or close to it at that level. So that would be like their only still question that I don't know if that they've solved, but if JC Jackson can still produce interceptions at that rate, then that will improve their secondary. But as I know, as a Dolphins fan, when Xavier Howard basically had his exact same season the year before, when Xavier Howard had 10 interceptions and was third in defensive player of the year voting or whatever, and only had five the very next year, it's hard to keep those high totals from a year to year basis. And so I, I wouldn't bank that in necessarily, especially when he's injured to start the year. So yeah, they're good. I think they're a playoff team. Let's wait and see. Yeah, no, 100%. My other big thing with them, too, is is can Derwin James stay healthy? That's the big thing, too, because just a new contract, but he's been hurt the last couple seasons. So if he can have a full healthy season, I'm going to buy into this defense. But you make a really excellent point. Like, is Joey Bosa, Sebastian Joseph Day, Khalil Mack going to help upgrade that run defense? Because if that run defense is still bad, guys, you got to remember, Brandon Staley is a defensive coach. It's not supposed to be the weak link. Exactly. That's That's the thing. And then for the second division, I think it's like the easiest to predict because look, two teams are pretty much down in the dumps. We all know who they are, Houston and Jacksonville. Oh, did I say that too soon? But my big thing for you guys is when you look at who can potentially win this division, is it Tennessee or is it Indianapolis? I, I'll, I'll start off a hot take here. Um, I think it's Indy as far as the, the best team in the division. I, I actually think fairly comfortably. I think Jacksonville is better than Tennessee. Now that's probably saying less about Tennessee than it is about Jacksonville, but um, I mean that just I don't know. I guess if Derrick Henry has a 17 game season, maybe, but there's a lot of gaps on that team. They lost a fair amount of people from different spots. They lost two starting offensive linemen from that that offensive line last year. They didn't add anyone crazy on on defense. Um, you know, you replaced. AJ Brown and Julio Jones with Robert Woods coming off an ACL and Traylon Burks. I and I kind of thought they were a bit of a paper tiger last year. They weren't quite as good as what their record said they were. So now you have all those other things with probably some natural regression if they were as talented as what they were, anyways. So I think it's the Colts comfortably, and I I wouldn't be shocked if the Jaguars. I think the Jaguars had the biggest net negative in coaching we've seen in forever. And Yes, they overspent on a ton of contracts, but that doesn't actually matter on the field. Like they'll have to deal with that in the salary cap next year. But, you know, the guys they signed were still talented players. Like they're still good players, even if they're overpaid. Uh, they still added talent where they needed it. So um, I actually think they could, you know, be frisky in a, you know, seven and 10, eight and nine way. And that they could, you know, they have a couple of things bounce their way. They might be able to finish second. Yeah, I would fully agree with everything he said. And uh, the, to, to heighten the point about the Titans being a paper tiger, they were six and two in one score games last year. Okay. And it's funny because they're known as being this team that had like this awful injury luck. They played like 90 players over the course of the season. And all that's true. 
But actually, according to Football Outsiders adjusted games loss metric, they only ranked like 10th, like or 11th, like in the entire league. Like because now, it, to be fair to them, when you lose Derrick Henry and A.J. Brown and Julio Jones, that matters more than losing any of the roster guys. So I get that. But they still had their quarterback the whole year. And by all accounts, their offensive line is not as good as it once was. I mentioned Brandon Thorne earlier. And he was saying in his O-line analysis, Taylor Luan is kind of more name than game at this point. Like he's mm, viewed yeah. as kind of like this elite left tackle. And he hasn't really seen that on tape in his evaluation of that offensive line play. They just lost Roger Saffold in free agency. So like they're, uh, they lost Jock Conklin a few years ago. Like their O-line is this reputation of being this bruising wall that helps Derrick Henry get all those yards. I don't know if that's the case anymore. And going six and two in one score games usually shows a regression the next year. My Dolphins have seen that the hard way many, many times over the last 20 years when some mediocre 7-9 and nine team had like a really good record in one-score games and then they wouldn't get better the following year because that luck flips. So I think the Colts are the, the bet. The Colts are the choice. Uh, we're obviously big Michael Pittman fans on this podcast, have been ever since before his first 100-yard game. And I think that Ryan kind of gives them a floor in the sense of, the, lot, the Colts O-line, it's not to the Titans level. It's still a good O-line, but I think it's still viewed as this elite O-line and they're still kind of a few pieces short. But I think they're, it's going to be better protection than Ryan's had in Atlanta for the last few years. And that's the most important thing. On top of the quarterback-friendly coaching, certainly I'm reconsidering everything I've seen from that Jacoby Brissett Colts season after watching Jacoby Brissett as a Dolphin last year. And we'll get to him when we get to the Browns. But I think that they're, they're probably going to, the Colts are probably going to go like 10-7. and 7. Like exactly 10 and seven, good, not great, you know, good enough to win your division, maybe win a playoff game, but not a Super Bowl ceiling is kind of what I'm expecting out of them. With the Titans to take a step back and Jaguars in Houston, we'll see. I think Davis Mills had a really strong December. By all metrics, Davis Mills outplayed Trevor Lawrence last year. But I we've seen this a lot over the years where the quarterback that has the really hot December, it doesn't really carry over into the next year. Like Geno Smith, his second year in the league comes to mind where he was – nuclear in the month of December, the last four games of the year. Jason Campbell way back in the day for older fans when he was a rookie had like a really hot December and it meant nothing the very next year. So I don't want to take Davis Mills's four game sample in December to mean he's going to be this ascending quarterback. But if you look at the numbers, he did play really well. And so I think them and the Jaguars though have more talent. The beauty of spending all that money in free agency. Yes. It hurts your ultimate Super Bowl ceiling, but it's a good way to get to 500. Like that's what happens when you bring in all these veterans, like off the street, like you just, Plug a lot of holes, and that's how you go from being bad to being like seven and ten. So, yeah, Colts, Titans, Jags, Texans. Agree, Jags could flip that, but we'll see. Yeah, I'm the same way as you guys. Like when I said Texans to Jags down, like I just like didn't know what to expect. But then you know what? When you two got talking, it kind of changes the opinion. Where it's like, hey, they could be that team that surprises a lot of people. Hell, Greg, you know best what happened last year. Yeah, yeah. same. <laughs> yeah, but like, you guys in London too. Um, Colts, whenever the Colts go to Jacksonville, but, uh, that's the, that's the thing. Like, I feel like Jacksonville at the end of the day is this huge enigma where we don't, I think anyone expects them to make the playoffs, but I wouldn't be shocked if they were like a 2020 chargers team, you know, where they're in a lot of games. If you're a gambling man, Greg, I don't know how much you are, how much of a gambling man you are, but I think they're, they could be a spread sweetheart team this year. Yeah, I can absolutely see that. Absolutely see that. Yeah, like they go like seven and ten ceiling, but their spread record, like yeah. I don't know if you remember this, but two two years ago, because it was actually Jacksonville. Jacksonville and Kansas City were both seven and nine in twenty twenty against the spread. That was my thing in twenty twenty. Kansas City was a horrible team for spreads because they give they'll give these goofy numbers out being like, oh, plus fifteen, like, oh, there's no way they cover that. 
and then they're in the game the whole time. So that's why I feel like that's where Jacksonville comes in. I think a winning season for them is seeing a true, true improvement from Trevor Lawrence. The pieces they draft work out well. But I'm not even saying like a great improvement. If he can be, I don't, I don't, I don't have his rookie numbers off my head, but if he can throw for like 3,000 yards or somewhere in there, even reach near four, I think that's a winning season in his books. It's just keep, just keep climbing that ladder and getting better. I would he, say I would go yeah. as far as to say he's mm-hmm. the only barometer of whether yeah. they have a successful season or not. If he's real, yeah. if he's someone they can build around, it's successful. Everything else is window dressing. I feel like everyone's comparing him to Peyton Manning. How oh, Manning had a bad first rookie year in Indy. Lawrence had a bad first year in Jacksonville. But we'll wait and see. Houston. I, I see a lot of people high on Davis Mills. I'm not. I, I want to wait and see from him. But I think they have some other pieces there that maybe work, but they're probably still, I'd say, ceiling five, maybe five and 12, I think, is their ceiling, if that. But, but maybe scrappy. Me, maybe yeah. scrappy. Maybe not getting destroyed and blown out. Like, you know, like Ray said, you know, you add a lot of the little pieces here and there going out. And rather than running, you know, nobody out there, they got Jerry Hughes and Mario Addison at defensive end. Like, they're at least it's functional NFL yeah players um so it's stuff like that i think they'll be passable damian pierce might be fun i was gonna say on this their skill talent i think is a little underappreciated because i think damian pierce has a really high ceiling at running back cooks collins cooks has had six 1000 yard seasons six that's as many as mike evans like like seriously like if he was in bigger bigger markets and more winning teams like he was that ran the patriots year like people would be looking at him differently. So yeah, him, Nico Collins, and Brevin Jordan, my guy from the University yeah. of Miami. Okay. Love him. okay. Obviously biased. Obviously love him dearly. Uh we UM produces a ton of great tight ends, obviously, like with David Njoku and Jimmy Graham and Greg Olson. Olson. Like there's they have a whole pipeline of guys. And Brevin Jordan was as good as any of those guys when he was here. So mm-hmm. I really do think he can be a capable starting NFL tight end. So nice. if you have a good tight end, a good receiver, and a good running back, that's something. Just yeah. start. And we'll see how guys like Kenyon Green do on the offensive line there as well. So I think they could be a, like a scrappy team, like kind of like what I think people think Detroit's going to be this year in a sense, where it's yeah. like not going to win a lot of games, but if they can impress people. But I'll get that in the NFC. But for me, it's like I'm the same as you guys. I think it's the Colts. I don't think it's close. I think Tennessee ceiling's 8-9. I just, I, I just think it's a year of regression. It's like you guys said. They didn't do anything special to improve unless Derrick Henry has an LT 2006 season. I just don't see – I just don't see them making the playoffs. Um, and then with the Colts, apart from Michael Pittman, you also have – we'll see if Paris Campbell can stay healthy. But Alec Pierce looks like a really solid receiver as well for a slot guy. And my big thing too is – and as also as a new proud Jonathan Taylor fantasy owner, um, <laughs> how he does in front of Matt Ryan in this good offensive line. Because remember, Matt Ryan hasn't had a good running back since, what, Freeman in Atlanta? Yeah, I mean, depending on how you want to rate that Cordero Patterson season, which was, you know, he was definitely effective. Like, I know, mean, a legit, like a real, true RB one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the Todd, the ghost of Todd Gurley the year before was certainly not an encouraging sign. So, and and my my point on the Jacoby Brissett comment I made earlier was that it's a very quarterback friendly offense. So yeah. Matt Ryan's actually good, but even if he wasn't, even if he takes yeah. a step back, I think the offense could still elevate. Well, look at what we see. Look at, yeah, Wentz's numbers versus what the eye test showed you last year. Like, obviously, it's a pretty functional offense if he could put up the, you know, touchdown interception ratio he did. Yeah, exactly. And then I I agree with you guys. I think they win the division at 10 and 7, secure, say, the four seed, and then maybe screw around and get to the divisional round. But I unless they go on a Cincinnati-like run, I just don't see 
I just don't see them being in Phoenix. I think there's only a handful of teams we see yeah. truly being in Phoenix. Their gift for winning their division is probably going to be hosting the Chargers. Probably. Yeah. And, and this is the case where if this were like 10 years ago, maybe they could go to the AFC title game or Super Bowl. But because there's just so many good AFC teams, it's just it's just hard to see. Like yeah. with all the either other that it's going to be you know the second place team of either like Baltimore, Cincinnati, or yeah. – uh, you know, Kansas City, the Chargers. So you're bringing in Justin Herbert or Lamar Jackson to go into Indianapolis. And will be an in, will be the Nickelodeon game? Who knows? We'll come back to that conversation <laughs> in like five months from now. The MVP. Yeah. I, I do think, though, that if this was 2016 Matt Ryan, yeah, there's a – like if yeah. he's coming off of the season, season like that. But I think now that he's towards the tail end of his career, I think he's just there kind of like – it's not going to be like a Matt Stafford in L.A. thing. I think it's just I, a – I've been hey, curious – yeah, I don't. I mean, we got more stuff to get to here, but um, a lot of people keep talking like it's this enormous upgrade, yeah. and I'm I'm kind of curious. Don't get me wrong, Carson Wentz was not great, but the run they've had of you know what was left of Philip Rivers, and then what Carson Wentz put together for them, and now what they have with Matt Ryan, like I. I, I guess it's a, I, the decision making. I, I think is a legitimate upgrade. You have a guy who can get the ball in the right p- people's hands, but it's not like they have some crazy run of skill talent outside of Taylor. It's not like there's you know the the Bengals receiving core or something like that. Like I don't, I don't know. I, I'm I think they're going to because the rest of the roster, the offensive line, the defense, the running game is so good, and he's a good decision maker. I think they win that division, and then I. I'm not concerned with them at all. Like they're not a team that I'm, I think anyone's going to be afraid of in the playoffs. Yeah. Because the problem is like how many, one, how many teams in the playoffs will they have a quarterback advantage over? Probably none. But if you really think about it. And then secondly, we probably wouldn't be saying these things about them if they weren't in this division, if they were in any other division, the conversation would be very different. So it really depends on how much you trust that scheme. Obviously Taylor's a stud and how good the O-line will be and whether or not those other receivers can pick it up. But I'm, I'm with you that, They'll probably get a slight upgrade in terms – I mean, a big upgrade in terms of decision-making. The last thing I'll say on this, though, is Matt Ryan's still not very mobile. And I think that what you saw with Big Ben, like, yes, he's much better than that. I'm not implying that. But I am saying that I do wonder, in today's NFL, can you really have a quarterback who just can't move? Like, unless you process at the level that Brady does. Like, it really does make me think that every every team in the league needs a quarterback who has some sort of mobility. Like, Mike Tomlin straight up said that's what he wanted in his replacement for Ben. So that's something that makes me wonder because he's still one of the few, like totally a mobile quarterbacks in the league right now. My big thing, I'm looking at their schedule right now. They have a huge test week three and week five, week three, they play Kansas city at home. So I think that's because the first two games are at the Texans and at Jacksonville. So best case scenario for them, one and one, we all know their history in Jacksonville. Um, and then week five, they go to Denver on the Thursday night slot. So I think those are two games right there where, I look more at the Denver game because I feel like that's a true what are both teams truly going to be when it comes to there. Because those are two teams we look at to make those leaps going forward for 2022. It's a good playoff eliminator kind of game. Like, which of you two is for real? I like that. Yeah, one of those, like, October early tests. Like, that game will come back to bite you in the sense of week 16 or 17. Hey, you have a must win because you lost that game. Or, hey, you have an easier, a little bit of a relaxer because you won that game. All right, AFC North. Um, I feel like this division is really intriguing because I feel like there's two teams I could truly make a case to win it, but there's a third team that, and the two teams I think are Cincinnati and Baltimore, but I'm going to say this right now, and I it might be a bit of a hot take. 
I don't want to count the Pittsburgh Steelers out because Big Rats come on here before and said this. Mike Tomlin teams never really back down. They're always in the mix. Never had a losing record. Mike Tomlin. Crazy, crazy stat. Wow. Belichick has had a losing record. And Mike Sean Payne has had a losing record. Mike Tomlin never has. Yeah, it's just one of those things. But when I look at like Baltimore or Cincinnati, I feel like is Cincinnati a team that setting itself up for potential failure? Because I feel like everyone's just going to think, oh, hey, they're going to be that top team again. And if they come out of the gates a little leery, it's going to be bad. Or do you think they're just going to pick up right where they got, where they left off? Lead off this time. Uh, you're talking Cincinnati? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this, the Super Bowl hangover argument is obvious. I don't want to get into it. Like, it's generic stuff. Anyone can say that. Um I think that they were a very interesting team last year because I, 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 I'm trying to learn, like, new ways we can detect Super Bowl teams. Like, the year before with the Bucks, one thing I kept saying that whole year was they had never beat a team with a winning record, which is true. Like, they lost every good team they played in the regular season. But they, kicked by the Saints. Yeah, and, and they lost to the Rams and they lost to the Chiefs. Like, every good team they faced, they lost. But when they faced bad teams, they just blew them the hell out. And that was the sign. It's that it's so hard to blow anyone out in the NFL because rosters are so close. So same with Greg's Bills last year. Like, they would just destroy, like, that Texans game. Like, when you played the Dolphins, like, they would just destroy the non-playoff teams. So the Bengals did that a lot. The Bengals murdered the Steelers twice last year. Murdered them. Like, 30 – like, the second game was, like, a 30-point demolition. And the first game was, like, a double-digit victory on the road. Like, so they – that was kind of the telltale sign, and they never lost by more than three points. And that was – I think they only they only lost one or two games by more than three points. That was it the whole year long. All their other five losses were by a field goal or less, which was also true of the Bucks the year before. That was another hidden signal. Whenever the Bucks did lose, they never got blown out except by the Saints. That was the exception. But all their other losses were very close. So they were legit. Like, if they were as legit as the Bucks were the year before in terms of, like, judging them as a Super Bowl team. So I, I think they can pick it up where they left off. But they did get very lucky in that closing regular season stretch in facing the Ravens secondary with their ninth-string cornerbacks facing the Chiefs secondary because that passing offense was not the same in that Super Bowl run. And I think that's one of the most underdiscussed parts of that team. That offense struggled to score 20 points. They made the Super Bowl because their defense started going nuclear in terms of forcing turnovers and forcing stops. The Titans could barely score. The Raiders could barely score. And the Chiefs had those, after the strong first half, had like six straight punts in the in the fourth quarter of that game. And then Mahomes was picking overtime. So – their defense and the Super Bowl was the same thing. That's why I thought the Super Bowl was kind of fairly easy to predict. It's like the Bengals' defense is going to play better than people think. Their offense is going to score around 20 points. And that's literally what happened. So, that passing offense being that nuclear, I don't know about that to start the year. But I think they will still be a good football team and should be in everyone's playoff brackets, if that makes sense. 100% agree. I think that that's exactly how you should look at it. It's kind of an offset of last year. Of course, they got fortunate on a run i don't i don't even think looking back does anyone besides does anyone in the 31 other fan bases think <laughs> they were the best team in the afc last year you know I, I if you played that bracket you know 10 times is that probably the one time they come out of it um but they did and there's a lot of young talent and there's a lot of good things and i will say them fixing the offensive line probably offsets the yeah. good bounces and good fortune and just you know regression that they probably were going to experience that they're still probably one of the three or four best teams, you know, in, in that ballpark, depending on how, how things come together. I will say, you know, in, in the, you know, net games lost and things like that was, is a great reference. I, I 
that Ravens team's really good. Yeah. Like there's a lot of talent on that team. And you talk about well coached and a lot of things go in their way. And, you know, it's that there's a lot of positive things that roster is so freaking deep. It's, it's why the preseason thing happens is because it's the, the bottom end of that roster is really crazy stacked with those. It's why they let everybody walk in free agency and replace them with, with comp picks. So um, I think I might pick the Ravens by a hair, to win the division, but I think they're both playoff teams. And I agree. I don't think it's crazy to think the Steelers could be in it. And in any other year, I'd probably give them a better shot. But now where you know, we haven't even gotten to our division, but we've talked about, you know, w- with all four teams in the running there, I, you know, if Pittsburgh was in the AFC West, they'd probably be fifth, yeah. you know, or they'd be right that you'd be debating them in the Raiders. Um, So I think them, the Raiders, and then, you know, uh, I think two of the three teams in, in our division are all kind of in that fight where, hey, they're actually all pretty good. And in most years, it'd be a playoff team. But this year, like one out of those six are going to make it. And five of those teams that are pretty good aren't going to make the playoffs. Um, and it's I think they're in that spot where, you know, or a major quarterback injury to one of those stack teams we've talked about knocks them out and creates a second opening. But otherwise, you're talking about like eight. You, I think you put it really well, eight elite quarterbacks and then four good young up and coming ones. And everybody is, is you know, only seven are making the playoffs. So you're going to be some unhappy people. Yeah, I, I agree with both of you. I think like when I say Pittsburgh is going to be a feisty team, I'm not saying they're going to win the division. I'm just saying they're going to be that team that, you know, miss out on the playoffs. They're going to be that like eight yeah. to 11 seed somewhere in there, but they'll probably still win eight to nine games this year. They'll be that feisty team. They're still in a lot. But, like, when I pull up the Bengals' schedule, there's a couple of tests I like really early for them. Week two at Dallas, that's in a prime 425 slot, which I know everyone likes to be on Sunday Night Football, but that's a low-key really good spot to be in as well because you have most of the country's eyes on you unless your team's playing in that spot in the local feed. And then week four against Big Rats Dolphins on Thursday Night Football. Those are two tests right out of the gate for them because their other matchups are versus Steelers and then at, at the Jets as well. So we'll see where those go. And then early candidate for Sunday Night Football – Week 18, Ravens and Bengals. Ravens, Bengals versus the Ravens. That's a very good candidate because that game right there probably could decide the North. north. But like the South, I don't see the division winner here being – like do you see either of those teams being more than a 12-win team or do you see them being that, you know, one team like finishes 11-6, and one team finishes 10-7 and kind of thing? I mean, the Bengals last year, part of their good fortune was playing the fourth-place schedule and now jumping to the first-place schedule where, you know – this here's their closing stretch of the season their final six games chiefs browns with watson buccaneers patriots bills ravens that's six straight games chiefs watson brown with uh browns with watson buccaneers patriots bills ravens you know that's a really really tough stretch you got to be coming into that game already with eight nine wins into that final six you know and hope that you could pull three and three um because that's a really rough stretch and seeding is very likely going to be on the line when you get to that bills and ravens final game um so it's there's a lot that, that could be in play there and um luckily i mean they do have some stuff in the middle there they got they play the nfc south which is helpful when you have the falcons and the panthers and um you know you get to play the jets but um they got to stack some of those up well early to be able to get themselves in position because they're killer. Their uh, final stretch is killer. That yeah. Bills, that Bills, especially catch off big rats. I want to say something. Yeah. That Bills game, I think, is going to be a true test. If they're going to the playoffs, okay, 
who are you and what you're going to be? Because every year, every team this year, excuse me, is going to be measured to Buffalo. We'll get into that in a few minutes, but I feel like that game also too, it is Monday night football. And then to Greg's point, I just want to pull up the Ravens final six, Denver, Pittsburgh, Cleveland with Watson, Atlanta, Pittsburgh, and the Bengals. So a little bit tougher, but you can see the Bengals probably getting out of that four and two. I know the Bengals, the Ravens getting the Ravens. out of their final six. I would take, yeah, if you give me the choice, I'd take the Ravens seven days out of seven. Uh, I, I'm also, I'm like, just to be clear, I'm also in the camp that the Ravens probably win the division. And like the Ravens, the Ravens record with Lamar as a starting quarterback is crazy. It's like, I forget the exact, it's like 39 and 10 or something stupid. Like, it's not a coincidence. He got hurt and Tyler Huntley played well, but when he got hurt, they were still the one seed in the AFC yeah. and winning the division. And then they fell all the way out of the playoffs, lost six straight games, you know, or five, five straight games with him, the six, five straight games with Huntley, the six with him. And so that's stuff that obviously, hopefully, Lamar's, that was the first major injury of his career. Like, despite his style and all the pundits' comments on his style, he had never missed a game before that. So I think he's going to be totally fine. I think that that will propel them to have their higher ceiling this year with a historically bad injury luck in the secondary and in their running back room. And all that's going to fix. One important thing to remember is the Mike McDonald effect. Yes. So Jim Harbaugh in college football – his defensive coordinator at Michigan, Don Brown, kept getting destroyed by Ohio State. He finally gets rid of him and brings in Mike McDonald, and the Michigan defense finally shows up against Ohio State, and they finally go to the Big Ten Championship game. Don Martindale's defense was blitzing nonstop. It was getting torched by Joe Burrow in particular. Both those games, the Bengals just killed them. And now, my, my I kind of, like, we'll get to my Dolphins in a second. Like, one thing I know very well as a Brian Flores fan and as a Manny Diaz fan at one point at UM, like these coaches that just blitz nonstop, it works so well against bad quarterbacks. Like they just crumble. Like they they, they crumble and you win handedly. It's an ass kicking. It's fun in the stadium. Everyone's celebrating. It's a great time. But you play these elite quarterbacks and they see that stuff coming. And that's how you get burnt over the top over and over and over again. So I think it's not that Wink is bad at his job. I think Wink will be a much welcome addition to the Giants and what they try to do. But I think bringing in Mike McDonald could make their defense better suited to handle the Bengals secondary. And also, you know, having their cornerbacks will help too. So I think that that will give them an edge in maybe winning one of those games this year, if not both. It's one of those classic, no, no, it's, I mean, it's nice for you. Like, that's nice for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then I'm just, I just want to shift gears to Cleveland quickly because I look at their, I know everyone's kind of writing them off because of the Watson suspension. But when I look at their schedule when he comes back, obviously, the obvious Texans game aside, because, well, NFL scripts it, Bengals, Ravens, Saints, Commanders, Steelers. There's not really a game in there where I look at besides the Commanders and I go, okay, that's a guaranteed W for Cleveland. So I think if you're a Cleveland Browns fan, hold your breath for this year and 2023, even though, look, I still am on the camp of he should have been gone for the whole season. It's a write-off season if you're a Cleveland Browns fan. I know it's just that's the way it is, but that's how I look at it for them. But when with Baltimore, though, you're right, and also – I don't think it's crazy to say, like, I with baseball right now, we're seeing Aaron Judge in a contract year having a monster, probably going to win the MVP year. I don't think it's crazy to say, could we see a similar style season from Lamar, obviously, on the football field? Because, look, he's still got to get paid. But even though I, everyone says, oh, it's because of his play and style, and I look at it from the angle of his doesn't have a legitimate agent. It's because that's why. If he had legitimate representation, I think he would have already been locked down by now. But that's just me. And Watson apparently like he wants the deal guaranteed after Watson got that deal. And that's just an example of how the Watson deal kind of fucked with the quarterback market a little bit. Cause you know, Herbert and Burrow are going to try to get the same thing. And their teams are also going to be like, ah, I'm not so sure about that. Well, 
at least with players of the plain style, like yes. Herbert and Burrow, if I'm a team, I'm more apt to to lean that way oh, than somebody like like with Lamar and in his plain style, a short of a, a three or four year deal, maybe. But we'll see. And, and I would I I want to just say on the Browns, let's be my last thing on Cleveland because I don't want to talk about Watson at all. I've talked about it so much in this podcast over the last two years. <laughs> Greg had to come I had to come here so much about the Dolphins and Watson. Don't want to do it anymore. But I will say I think they're going to be bad. Um, because firstly, we need some bad teams in the AFC. Like, not all these teams are going to be fine. Be you need you. It can't just be the Texans at the top of the draft. Like, there has to be another team up there with them, or the Jets. So, I think they're going to be actively bad. I think Brissett is not. I think most people think he's like average. The problem is, almost everyone has an average quarterback these days. Yeah. Like, everyone has at least average or better. So, what? Where does Brissett rank amongst thirty-two quarterbacks on opening day? I think he's thirty-second or thirty-first. And I watched him closely with the Dolphins. There was a big difference when he was in the game versus when Tua was in the game. I know PFF had Brissett rated higher. Ignore that. Like, no other metric on, on quarterback analysis will tell you that. Like, Tua was clearly the better quarterback of the two, and the offense could not move when Brissett was in there. Yes, the offensive line was horrible. It's better in Cleveland. The running backs are better in Cleveland. I get all that. Like, Amari Cooper's probably better than eh, – probably not better than Waddle, but better than the other receivers the Dolphins had. So, I understand all that, but I think just the whole drama of the whole year – and, you know, if you want to bet, bet on historical incompetence, like if you want to bet on a franchise to be bad, betting on Cleveland's not a bad bet. I think the drama of it all, and I think Brissett is going to be worse than every quarterback they play. So I think they're going to be really bad when Watson's gone. And I think there's going to be a conversation on is it worth it to bring Watson back if they're, like, really bad. Because if they're 3-8 and eight going into Watson's return, sure, the argument will probably be he needs the reps because he hasn't played in a year and a half, whatever. But there might be a serious discussion of, man, is it worth it? Is it worth the hits if this is a lost year anyways? So, yeah, I think they're going to be bad. I think Watson will not be great right away. I think he'll need some games to get into it, and I think they'll be at the top of the draft. That's my prediction. And also, don't hold their own pick for next year. Remember, I was just going to say, you mean the Texans will be the The Texans pick, yes. The Texans will will have two top five picks. Top picks, yes, which they could use to replace to get a quarterback if they don't like Amil's plays. I've even came on and said this back in like May when I was thinking about coaches that could be on the hot seat. And I look at Kevin Stefanski as a perfect example of that just because, look, the situation, Greg's actually, I know he's a Bills fan, a big rap, but he's from Cleveland. Um, I just look at his situation where it's like, okay, what have you done for me lately thing? Where it's like, oh, no, 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 it's not your fault. It's, oh, it's like, oh, it's not your fault, but like someone's got to pay the price for this. So I just can see at the end of the day, if they go four and 13, let's say, he's shown the door. And it's just another carousel in Cleveland. That's that's just something I just want to add on to that yeah. quickly. Well, it, it could be a thing where even though he's a good coach and like doesn't deserve it, it it's Cleveland. Like it's a good bet to bet on. I mean, I'm sorry. they fired a coach like two years ago. Like it's a decent bet. Yeah. yeah. Also, too, um, one thing I'll say with gambling with the Cleveland Browns, I bet they're under. I think they still have a pretty solid defense, but I don't think the offense is going to get much done. So if you want an under team for this year and also for week one, uh, Carolina Panthers minus two and a half, hammer it. Um, you guys ready for fireworks? Ready to shoot passive aggressive shots at each other? Because yeah, let's talk about it. We got a Patriots fan, we got a Dolphins fan, we got a Bills fan in the room. No Jets fans here. So we I was gonna say, we at least should have brought somebody to kick around. It would have been oh. fun. He <laughs> couldn't. He couldn't make it tonight. That's why I kept asking you, like, oh, Monday and Tuesday, he wasn't here. He couldn't be here. It's our friend Big it's Big Rat. Uh, which for context, guys, name's real name's Rick. It's just Big Rat's nickname that we can't get off of him. But um, no, so. My big question with this division is we know obviously who one is. We probably are gonna figure out who's four. I want to start with Greg here. Where do you go when it comes to two and three? So 
there's it's so weird there's two different complete opposite scenarios where one there's a ton of drumbeat and smoke around the entire roster not looking like it has in the past and trusted people around the team not feeling good and confident and the drumbeat of weird stuff but the central figure who instills more trust than anyone in football history and then you have either a completely brilliant mind as a coach that just is really you know kind of odd um or maybe somebody who's faked his way through a fair amount of interviews in his life i'm not sure which um and a quarterback who is at minimum has much to, you know, prove, but a really, really dangerous roster and a lot of talent added at important spots and a really strong secondary and a new left tackle and a new number one weapon and a lot of speed in the backfield. And it's really hard, you know, when I would pick 45 of the roster spots for one team versus the other, but the, the important spots and the coach and the other pieces that are there, I, you know, I've spent 20 years saying I'll bet against Belichick when I see it. But there's so much like people like like Ted Johnson and Scott Zolak and like people who are like pretty far on the homerism scale are saying like, I don't know, guys, this <laughs> this season might be a little rough. Um, my one concern of real concern with them is that. I think Belichick wants to be involved in the offense. I think he brought in people that could do it. I think he could have done that and also brought in an actual trusted, experienced offensive um, mind that's built game plans before and called plays on game day and added to that room. Not that he couldn't still have the influence to do the things he wanted, but I, I almost feel like he's trying his damnedest to just give the rest of the league the middle finger by saying, watch this shit. I'm going to do this with, you know, and now bringing in Joe judge and bringing in Matt Patricia and saying, you guys think you've seen something before I'm going to pull off an offense with these two. And if he does, I will carve the man a statue myself. Like he's already the greatest mind, greatest football mind who's ever lived. I think he's trying to be too cute and I think he's doing a disservice to a young quarterback that probably could have used a little more infrastructure around him in year two. And I just think there's, I, I, I'm not a Tua believer. I'm not honestly a a McDaniel believer. I, I, I I have questions about whether that stick's going to get old after a couple tough losses, but the rest of the roster is really, really good. And I think that you can, put training wheels onto it and still be pretty good. And if he's better than pretty good, they could be dangerous. So I, I, I think right now there's too much leaning that direction. Even if everything in my mind is setting off alarm bells that what the hell are you doing? You idiot. You're betting against Belichick. You've seen it for 20 years. What's wrong with you? Yeah. Uh, I, I just want to comment on the Patriots real quick and then we'll get to my team later. Cause before you speak, Griff, uh, the, <laughs> I did read that. I think that was Tom Curran that said that Belichick want 
Belichick knows that making this change, what is it like to more of an outside zone system yep. or a change in the running philosophy, it's going to short term really hurt, but they're hoping long term this is the new way. Not a coincidence. It comes after McDaniels leaves. Maybe that's, I mean, you would know more than I would. Maybe that's why they wanted to start doing it. I can understand though, maybe it's a sign of trust to Mac in terms of like, we're ready to make this change now. We know it's going to suck, but we have a lot of trust in you that we think we can handle it versus maybe the other approach of maybe we should have waited a year or two, stuck with the older playbook, and then maybe made that transition when Mac was really more settled and more established, especially after objectively kind of a tough finish to end last year. And so we'll see. I'm also nervous as hell as a Finns fan. Like, I mean, Greg and I have been on the other side. I've been on the other side of it too a million times. Uh, It is encouraging that, the one, the one thing people can say about Tua, if nothing else, Belichick destroys every other young quarterback in the league. And it's not like Tua plays amazing against them, but he does not crumble. He at least plays okay. And every other quarterback plays terrible. That's a rookie or second-year player against that team. And Tua's always played okay. And yes, it's not great. He didn't light up the scoreboard, but he played fine in three straight games against them. So him maybe not being overwhelmed by that it at least gives me a little encouragement because Belichick normally feasts on other like middling or bad quarterbacks uh but yeah just curious to hear your concern Griff about the transition and I can tell you as a Devontae Parker fan for a long time there's gonna be a game where he gets hurt like on a Thursday practice is all of a sudden out that Sunday and questionable the following week and that's the problem with Devontae's injuries always seem to come at the worst possible time it'd be midweek you're getting ready excited for the game and you find out like the morning of the game he's out and we'll see about next week because he could just get hurt at any time like he's those hamstrings have never been reliable but hey Tua played a lot better when he was in the lineup so we'll see we'll, we'll see about him uh, my focus right now I if you ask me who's wide receiver one I, I still go Kendrick Bourne uh, I, I like what I've seen out of him um my thing with this I just when I look at the Patriots, it's just that whole. I don't like it when I see people go like, "Oh, this is a six and like eleven or a five and twelve football team." No, I saw a tweet today that made a lot of sense. If the twenty twenty team, for as bad as it was, finished seven and nine, including taking at that time a really good Seattle team and then a really good Buffalo team to the brink, and also for the most part holding Kansas City and not getting completely embarrassed by them, which weirdly enough, one of their most embarrassing losses that year was to Jimmy Garoppolo. The, the Buffalo Week sixteen game aside, Greg. Um, but I still look at this team as I did going into last year where they can screw around, win a couple games they're not supposed to, and, you know, maybe, maybe finish 10 and seven again. But then there's the other side of me thinking, Hey, this team could finish eight and nine. Cause the one thing I want to see them improve on is because like how last year they lost the box close. They lost the Cowboys in overtime. I like to see them, you know, like go into Lambo and beat the Packers. But in reality, that's probably not what's going to happen. Um, Hopefully split with like if they can split with Buffalo again. I don't think there's gonna be another crazy weather game in Buffalo unless something happens. Look, I know it, it happened. I know people like to clown on it saying that, like, oh, but Buffalo had and I've seen some people online say and on TV say like, oh, Buffalo would have had a better record if it if it weren't for the weather, but then again, weather's not something we can control. Well, at the end of the day, when I look at this Patriots team, do I scream Super Bowl even though it is in Phoenix? And guess who the AFC representative was last time? Super Bowl was in Phoenix. Of course. I mean, that, that's true of yeah. most cities. Yeah. Most I was just going to say, I, I, there's not a lot of cities that haven't hosted the Patriots in the Super Bowl, but... Miami, I don't think has... Thank God. Um, LA now. But no, yeah. I know the last two, the two in Phoenix and the two in Houston were Patriots. Yeah. Minnesota, too. Yes, Minnesota, too. But the two, I like to remember those two because they both, they, well, even though one was heartbreaking, but 
three the of those four were wins, yeah. including 28 to three. But when I look at this Patriots team, I just want to see my main big takeaways are I want to see some of the my more than Mac. I'm looking at the defense. I think this is going to be a defense that is going to surprise a lot of people. I don't think they went younger. Look, obviously that Bills game installed a lot of fear into the Belichick basically being like, we got to go younger because we got we got ran out of the building. We got completely dog walked. I'll be honest with you. I watched the second half of the game just saying I got 30 minutes left in my team to watch for eight months. But with this team this year. If they can surprise me, win a couple games they're not supposed to, be in that playoff conversation come Thanksgiving. Because I think as a, as NFL fans here, look, Greg's team aside, we know they're going to be there, especially too considering they played um, Detroit on Thanksgiving. If your team is in the hunt at Thanksgiving time, that's a win. That's what a lot of mediocre teams want to see. But for the Patriots, if they're in that mix, if they can be – I don't know, even if there are a couple games above 500 this year, say if they go nine and eight or 10 and seven, I still look at that as a win. I'm not looking for them to make those leaps until that third year where, you know, you need to see your quarterback take that leap. Like the pressure to us under this year, like to an extent what Daniel Jones is going under this year, even though it's his fourth season. Um, but by the way, the only, there's one quarterback, Justin Herbert, by the way, his two worst games were both against the Patriots statistically. Go look it up. So with the whole, point about Portugal yeah. quarterbacks there is a, a stretch that gives you I think hope to to have that be the case because the middle stretch of the season for the Patriots it goes Lions Browns with Brissett Bears Jets Colts Jets um so you know you're talking that's not crazy to go five and six in that stretch I think or five and one in that yeah. five out of six in that stretch um so you know obviously earlier you got a road game against the Packers is tough the Ravens are tough at the Steelers <laughs> open with the Dolphins who the Dolphins always play the, the Patriots tough. Um, so, you know, you probably need to start two and two to, to be in position, but it's not crazy that you guys could be, you know, seven and three, six and four at that point. And now all of a sudden you are in the discussion and you're there. And then, you know, then you go uh, on the road with Vikings. You have both bills games left. You have at Cardinals at Raiders, Bengals, Dolphins again. So you'll have to prove it down the stretch, but I do think there's a chance that early in the season, things are coming together and and really all that's going to matter is the secondary because the the front seven is still very very legit you know everybody knows Dietrich Wise, Lawrence Guy, Christian Barmore, Matt Judon, you know Bentley, Raekwon McMillan like you're Watch comfortable with everything there yeah plus Godchow and Uche and it, you know you got plenty of talent everywhere in that front seven but now you know replacing JC Jackson with Jalen Mills pushing Jonathan Jones outside we yeah. saw what Isaiah McKenzie did to Miles Bryant. Like I, I, I don't know. You know, another year older for Phillips and McCourty. I like Duggar. I, I like Duggar a lot. I think he's a nice weapon. Yeah. Um, but he's also not. You know, he's not locking down Stephon Diggs. Like he's not locking no. down Terry Kill. So it's all that secondary. They like can they scheme that so that the front seven can control things? Because I do think there's power in that front seven. But it's all going to be in today's NFL. How's your pass defense? Pass defense decides everything. So it's all going to be, can that secondary do what is previously done? And then again, that's where, you know, shame on me for ever doubting, you know, uh, Belichick because he's proven us wrong so many times, but it just, it seems like he's tempting fate that they, they didn't bring anybody in to replace Jackson. And I just, I'm curious to see where it goes. Um, Marcus Jones and Jack Jones are a couple of rookies. I think people should watch as well. They've had really good preseasons, really good camps. Um, and also, too, when it comes to, you know, I said Cleveland's an under team. I think New England's going to be in a lot of shootouts this year. I think there's going to be a lot of, you know, 28 to 24 style football games. 
Um, I'm going to get into this quickly because week one, there are two games in the AFC I think that are great litmus tests to see how good these teams truly are. And that is Patriots at Dolphins. And the other one is Raiders at Chargers. I think both those Mm -hmm. games are going to be really good to see, hey, what exactly are we getting out of both teams? But I'm just going to say that my spiel about um, New England because, look, if they that's that's that like little cupcake part scares me. That 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 scares me just because I can envision a world where you know that five and one come or that five and one could be on a four and two could say they split with the New York Jets. I'm just saying that because there's a lot of those times where those games, you know, it's like, oh hey, they have it, no problem. Those are the games you always lose in the NFL. It's always the ones you think you're gonna win is when you lose. That's it's just no matter there. But then I also really like that there's the two games, not the Bills games for tests, because obviously we know Buffalo's a better team. I think those are just to see how they stack up. But it's that Thanksgiving night at Minnesota and then the Monday night against Arizona, because those are two teams as well. Big rat, like we were saying earlier, Colts and Broncos. I think that both those games are going to be true tests because Minnesota is a team that tends to crumble down the stretch. And then Arizona, we don't know what we're going to get this year, especially with a D-hop suspension. I know we're talking NFC a little bit, but those are games there. And then I already look at that Vegas game as an L because Belichick can't beat former assistants, just how it is. But I think if all goes well for this team, 10 or 11 is not out of the realm of possibility. But if I'm being more realistic, I'm thinking 10 is the ceiling, but 9 and 8 I can see happening. That's how I look at it with the Patriots. It, it could be as simple, and maybe this is a good transition point, it could be as simple as the Dolphins and Patriots flipping what happened last year. This time the Dolphins get to win 10 games and the Patriots get to go 9-8, you know, or something yeah. like that. And all and they go 4-0 against the Jets collectively. <laughs> Sounds about right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, now, so on – on I, I, I Greg had mentioned earlier that, you know, like not as much of a tour McDaniel believer, and I by the way, I totally understand. Like I'm, I'm reasonable about all this stuff. Dolphin fans get very defensive about Tua because it seems like he's going on. Well, he's he's just he's always compared to Herbert or Burrow instead of other young quarterbacks in the league. Like like compare Tua to what Trevor Lawrence did last year, to what Zach Wilson did last year, to what Justin Fields did last year, to what Daniel Jones has done for the majority of the last few years. It's like that's not the standard he's held to. He's constantly compared to the guys drafted in the same area around him, and we just constantly think that's not fair. Because I think most I've said this before in the show. I wanted Tua coming out. I would say the majority of analysts said Tua would be the better prospect than Herbert. I would say it was probably 75-25. The Herbert people existed, not denying that, but they were in the minority. The most For people sure. thought Tua For would sure. be the better prospect. So I don't like to play hindsight bias with this stuff. Like, Dak Prescott won in the fourth round, and it's like, I don't, you know, like that's what people thought at the time. Like I, I, think I wanted cool. the Dolphins to take Herbert because I was sure he was a bust. Exactly. And, and Herbert reminded Dolphin fans so much of Tannehill, which is especially – that's the context that's often ignored in this analysis. Like a lot of his Oregon tapes seem very similar. Tall, very mobile, big arm, but kind of have like this weird stupidity at the worst moments and situational moments in football games. So, How will we do away from home, for example? Because that was a big thing because he went to high school in the area and then he went to Oregon. Correct. And – like, so, yeah, like, I, I will just never get mad at them for that. And I think the constant, like, every time Herbert's in primetime and everyone just has to say it over and over and over again, how stupid the Dolphins were. It's like, I hate this kind of rhetoric. I think it's so dumb hindsight analysis. Like, look, with all due respect to Josh Allen, like, I sure, there was some voices that he should have gone first overall, but it was very minimal at the time in 2018. Like, Baker and Darnold were the majority of the analysis. Like, I don't like clowning teams for that stuff. I think it's not good process. And so... Tua, the other thing is that 
it does sometimes seem like he's overly microanalyzed. And look, Tyree Kill this summer maybe brought on more criticism than he should have by saying the Patrick Mahomes comments and all this and that. But like he completes a 50-yard pass yesterday and everyone's dogging him because it wasn't an 80-yard touchdown like it should have been. And it's like, first it was he never throws downfield. That was the initial complaint. He never even looks downfield. He never even tries. And then it was he'll try, but he'll throw an incompletion. He'll throw an interception. And then he tries, completes a 50-yard pass, and it's still not good enough. We don't do this with other quarterbacks. Like we don't look at every fifty-yard throw and dissect whether or not it should have gone the distance. Like I think uh, Ben Albright had a really good comment that you know watching Josh Allen and Justin Herbert throw the ball 60, 65 yards has just spoiled people. That like yes. it's kind of hard to throw a football fifty-five yards. Like that, there's nothing wrong with a fifty. You know, with Tyreek Hill having to come back on a fifty-three-yard pass a little bit. Like that's not the end of the world. It was. It was, and it was. It was. It was. I think in the top top 10 of total air yard throws last year and Mahomes was not in the top 10 like there was not one 55 yard throw from Mahomes that went to the house from Tyreek like maybe in prior years just not last year and yes like people are spoiled it my only frustration with the Allen and Herbert rise is it is kind of leading to this new mindset that like you have to be so physically talented to succeed in the NFL and I feel like it's kind of cyclical because if you guys remember back in the day that was the draft criticism we're overdrafting the big, strong arm, tall, mobile quarterbacks, but like don't know how to play football, but they have all the tools. So who cares? And those guys actually are really great, obviously. But I feel like we're going to fall back into this trap where the trait guys are so overdrafted and we're going to act like the college film just doesn't matter anymore. It's like, who cares? He can throw it on a rope. He can run. That's all we care about anymore these days. And Tua is sometimes a victim of that because he is small. He does not have a big arm. And guys who win like he did, in terms of processing speed, it takes longer for them to adjust at the NFL level. And look, I'm not here to tell you he will blow up. He will be great. But I do think the offense kind of gives a floor for the production that is good. I just think they have too much talent to be a bad offense. Like maybe they will only be average instead of great, but I can't see them being a terrible offense again. I just, it's not possible for me unless like massive injuries happen across the board because receivers like Hill and Waddle, we don't get these guys. We get Jarvis Landry, Brian Hartline, and Chris Chambers, and Devontae Parker. We don't get guys like that, ever. Like, even the like Patriots fans bitch about Brady not having receivers, but he had Moss and Gronk, those, and Welker. Those guys are all better than anyone the Dolphins have ever had. Like, Who's they, funny enough down in Miami himself right now, too. Exactly, as a, as, a, as a wide receivers coach, come full circle. So I think the offense has a lot of potential. The whole team as a whole does kind of I, – I, I try not to fall into this trap as a fan because they very well could disappoint. But they do kind of have a Bengals feel to it where, like, they do have some explosion on offense. They have the young quarterback. The defense is kind of coming together a little bit. Like, they do kind of have that vibe where they can go 10-7 and seven and then surprise people in the playoffs. But they still have a lot to prove. I do think the defense will be good. The main point I wanted to make on the defense is just that I think their defensive line doesn't get enough credit. They were sixth in the NFL in sacks last year. Sixth. And sure, a lot of people think that's secondary created pressure, but they have a lot of guys that win individual matchups. Like Jalen yeah. Phillips broke the record for most sacks as a Dolphins rookie. Emmanuel Logba makes $16 million a year for a reason. It was sneaky good. Yes. Like he, like his. Christian his, Watkins, too. Will, Christian Wilkins is also. Wilkins, excuse me. Also in a contract year, going to your point earlier about how that could affect things. Like a player like Zach Sealer, most fans probably don't know about, but. He's one of the better run-stuffing D-tackles in the league. Like, he's consistently rated in the top 10 in PFF's rankings. Like, and he always makes an impact in tackles for loss when it comes to as a Dolphins fan. Like, and now the rotation at that other spot that's Melvin Ingram, Van Ginkle, and now adding in Trey Flowers. Trey Flowers. Like, it's yeah. interesting. Coming in. 
they're deep. They got like six, they got like six good football players on that line. And they, uh, it's very much like a team defense. Like they all, like they all, cause like the Dolphins coordinators want the defense, the defensive line to uh, occupy two gaps at once. So you very rarely have a guy just going unblocked off the middle, only on the edges. If they're going to send a slot blitz or something, or like Brandon Jones and Javon Holland, their back line would always blitz off the edge. And it would usually work for that reason. But their guys are all going to eat in different ways, and I think it's a good D-line. I don't think the sacks are all secondary-created pressure. I think those guys don't get enough credit for some of the pressure they create themselves. And so the Dolphins are turned 11 starters on defense from last year. I think they're the only team in the league or one of the only teams in the league to do that. Nick Needham, like everyone knows about Byron and X. Nick Needham has come a long way since uh, Greg's Bills in the 2020 finale just like you talked about Miles Bryant, just lined up Isaiah McKenzie against Needham all day long and torched him for like three touchdowns in the first half alone. Uh, so he's come a long way since then. Javon Holland, one of the best safeties in the league. People will, he'll be like the new Jesse Bates, like the new great free safety that no one knows about and starts to talk about in that way coming soon. They have this thing in practice, McDaniel does, where you get an orange jersey if you're the top practice performer of the day. The player that has gotten the most orange jerseys, it's not Tua, it's not Tyree Kill, it's not Xavier Howard, it's Javon Holland. He's gotten the most of anyone. So that's a lot of competition that he's going against in practice. So I think the defense should be, my hope is that the defense is still good, the offense improves from bad to solid. And I think that's enough to go 10 and 7. That is my hope. They have a higher ceiling than that. It could fall apart. I don't deny that it could fall apart, but I think some of the McDaniel scheme stuff is real. I mean, look, I'm biased, of course, but if you go to Brian Baldinger's Twitter account, he on his timeline right now, he did the Dolphins preseason game yesterday, and he's really convinced that they have a schematic advantage. He really believes that McDaniel can copy over a lot of the stuff that Shanahan was doing. So obviously we've fallen into this trap before, but last note I'll say on the coaching that is relevant. Historically with the Dolphins, the first year of the head coach is the peak. This was true for Tony Sperano when they went 11-5 and five and won the division. This was true with Adam Gase when they went 10-6 and six and won the division. Some would say this was even true with Flores, taking that team that everyone thought would go 0-16 and taking them to 5-11. and 11. So, Yeah, and beat the Patriots in Week 17. Sorry, I well, said it too loud. They, if they don't, if they don't, on Tua, people think if they don't make the playoffs or they don't play well, will he be displaced? We'll see. I think making the playoffs is a bad arbiter because – Last year, 9-8 and eight, in the NFC, what Jalen Hurts did with the Eagles, they made the playoffs. They were not that different of a team from the Dolphins. They both went 9-8. and eight. They both only beat up on bad teams. Like in the NFC, that was good enough. In the AFC, it was not. The year before, the Dolphins went 10-6. and six. Nine times out of ten, that should be good enough for the playoffs. That's just bad luck that it wasn't. Yeah. So it's not about whether or not they make the playoffs. It's about is the offense giving you something? Because if Tua at least is average, if he's at least like the 15th best quarterback in the league, even if you don't want to give him an extension, you're at the point where it's hard to replace him. And you start looking around at a veteran-laden team, and you're like, is it really worth it to take at a At least gamble? another franchise day. Yeah, or at least, especially when your dumbass owner costs you a first-round pick. So, like, that that kind of limits your abilities to upgrade. So, yeah. Who's the, who's the right side of the line right now next to Ken so, Williams? So, Austin Jackson, they started at left tackle for two years, and he was horrible last year. They're moving him to the right side. It's risky. So far, so good. The right side against the Bills is how Tua broke his ribs when uh, Jesse Davis got wrecked by, I think it was A.J. Epinesa, mm-hmm. who came in unblocked and broke Tua's ribs in the second week of the season. So they're starting a former bad left tackle at right tackle. Signs The hope is that he's a very athletic player, and the hope is that the scheme elevates the line where guys who are athletics and can get out in space in the outside zone blocks can maybe build up a little more confidence. But it is a question mark, no doubt about that. And then that. Hunt. 
Hunt is still at right guard. Yeah. And Connor Williams, who everyone thought would play left guard, they moved him to center. And they moved him to center, and they're giving him a lot of responsibility at center, which I think is very, very good because Shanahan like would always prioritize Alex Mack, would always yeah. prioritize having a high-value center in the building. McDaniel's doing the same thing. He's not trusting a rookie with those responsibilities. He's trusting Connor Williams. There were some snap issues early in training camp because he had never played center before, but I, I would like to think stuff like that should be resolved pretty quickly over time. So this O-line is going to depend on Armstead's health. I don't need him to play 17 games, but can you play 12? Can you play 13 instead of six? That's going to be the barometer. Because that was the ultimate downfall of the Saints last year was just injuries. So it just adds to that. Um, I just want to add something quickly with Miami. I look at their schedule. They had four really big tests right out of the gate. You have yeah. Patriots at the Ravens versus the Bills at the Bengals. So those are yeah. you're gonna know you're gonna know quick. Yeah, the you're Bills, gonna know quick. The Bills have beaten the Dolphins seven straight times. I'm sure Greg is well aware. So that, that seven was... and one in the division in the last two years. The Bills. Yeah. Yep. Oh wow. And, and the one is the weather game. And the seven, the wins against the Dolphins have not been close. Like they've all been. Oh yeah, I mean it's a hundred plus point differential in the in the eight games. The only thing I look at here, though, with the the Dolphins is though, like how the Patriots have an easy like October, middle of October to like middle of November. The Dolphins from the end of October to the end of November at the Lions, at the Bears versus the Browns bye week, and then Houston comes to town. So those are four very winnable games there. Before you have 49ers, Chargers, Bills, Packers, because that December right there is a big make or break. And we all know what the Dolphins are capable of doing in make or break games. If they're going to make the playoffs, they need to go two and two in those first four games. So it's very simple. Either you beat the Ravens or Bengals on the road, or you finally beat the Bills at home. That's the only way. And obviously, they're probably going to be Vegas dogs in all three games. So if they could steal that one of those three games, that could be the difference between playoffs or not. All right, Greg, we all know what true expectations are for Buffalo. We all know everyone's saying it seems like no sleep till Phoenix, Phoenix or bust. But what are some things that are you most paying attention to this year when it comes to the Buffalo Bills? So, you know, I think there's been a couple other topics that apply to the Bills that we've had in other areas. There's, you know, when you talk about obviously a very talented roster, a lot of really strong, you know, uh, at key positions plus you know crazy depth like the, the deepest roster i've seen in my adult life for for this team and strong players at key positions so that combination is really dangerous but last year we had incredibly bad uh, luck on the one score game so you have what should be some positive regression that direction and that you know the year before they were 6 and 1 in one score games last year they're 0 and 7 it's, it's almost impossible to do so this year the key is going to be they still need to play well against the good team so obviously there's going to be big you know matchups that matter you have the packers you have the chiefs you have the bengals you have you know multiple big time matchups that everybody's going to be the season opener against the rams you have all kinds of lit- litmus tests that people are going to be paying attention to the key is you can't afford last year's Jacksonville game. You can't afford for Josh Allen to slip on the fourth round against Tennessee and you lose the game. Like they need to clean up some of that stuff where they had the wonky back and forth where they won one, lost one, won one, lost one in the middle of the season last year because, you know, maybe that 13 seconds doesn't happen if that game's in Buffalo. Like, you know, there's things like that that they need to make sure they're clean because, you know, it it's – it's Super Bowl or bust in the sense that that's the expectation when you're the betting favorite for the Super Bowl. Like the, the, you can't have lower expectations than that. But 
like we talked about, I don't know that the Rams and the Bengals were the two best teams in the league last year. Like I, I think if you played that again, you know, I think the Buccaneers, maybe the Packers were probably as good or better. I don't think anybody thinks the Bengals were the best team. So part of it is you have to get yourself there and then give yourself the best chances. But then, you know, it's always going to be see what happens when you get into that final four, final eight. So going that direction, you know, I need 12 plus wins. Uh, you know, I need them to get in that position, ideally 13 or 14. I need them to solidify where you're locking in the division, where you're locking in the first round by the number one seed, and ideally resting people in the last two weeks of the season where you can manage and be your best self going in to the playoffs. I need hosting a playoff game. I are hosting multiple playoff games. I need multiple playoff wins. If something crazy happens in the AFC Championship game or losing the Super Bowl, like don't get me wrong, that'll be horribly disappointing with where the expectations are. But that's not a bad season. That's not a terrible season. That's just a disappointing end that you didn't hit your ultimate goal. Um, but they can avoid that by being more prepared, by being locked in every single week, not waiting until you know two thirds of the season to be hitting your stride and to figure things out. They need to get that stuff locked up earlier. Um, and they're going to know because their schedule is the same as, you know, we've talked about some other teams, their opening run with Rams, Titans, Dolphins, Ravens, Steelers, Chiefs, Packers, like really good seven out of the first uh, weeks with a bye week mixed in there. They're going to know very quickly, like, Hey, if they go through that seven game stretch, you know, five and two or something like that, you're talking about a, you know, maybe like a 14 and three kind of season. Cause the rest of the schedule is a lot of, you know, Browns, Jets, Lions, Jets, Bears, like a lot of very, you know, games where they have to win those. You can't have that Jag slip up game. You have to be able to lock those in, but that's what they need to be focused on is that, you know, they're short of some, you know, short of Josh Allen injury. They're going to be in that situation. It's going to be now. It's it's similar to what the Patriots had forever. Like it wasn't a question of you know, hey, are they going to make the playoffs? And no, you, of course they're going to make the playoffs. Of course they're going to be in that position. It's can they be positioned well? Can they put themselves in the position to truly have the best odds when it gets there, and not have to be scrapping as a lower seed because you messed up and stubbed your toe multiple times, which is what they did it themselves last year, where. I, you know, obviously I'm biased. I'm a homer. I think they were the best team in the league. I think they were, they would have beat any of you put them against every playoff team and you played 10 times. I think the Bills win six out of 10 against every single team or more, but they lost <laughs> because they put the, they, they didn't have everything into their control and they didn't, you know, take care of all the things they needed to. And they stubbed their toe earlier. That's what I'm focused on is not having those slip up games, not having those ugly ones. I, I complete. Oh, I'll let you go first, Big Red. Well, I just have I have two questions that I want to ask you about if you're concerned, because um, obviously I've I've read a lot about the second cornerback spot, you know, and mm-hmm. how Trey White's coming off his ACL. Because obviously, as a as a Dolphins fan, the only thing I can hope for is that okay, we have Tyreek Hill and you have your cornerbacks. Hopefully, that gives us a chance this time as opposed to getting killed. So that's one question on the cornerback depth, and then the second question is going from Dable to Ken Dorsey because I I was Titans film room. Uh, which is like a podcast about the Titans. I heard them say that they remember when Arthur Smith left and they, Arthur Smith left and they went like they promoted the quarterbacks coach and all the Titans fans in the off season thought, okay, this is going to be no big deal because it's the same system. The guy's been here for two years, whatever. And then obviously the offense took a significant step back injuries to Derrick Henry, AJ Brown, obviously a big caveat in that. So how concerned are you about the transition to uh, one of the greatest university of Miami quarterbacks of all time? And then 
cornerback depth. So both are the top two questions for the team, the two biggest areas of concern, the two biggest, um, anytime we do these, I, I had uh, Danny Heifetz from the Ringer NFL show on uh, the other night and that I named the show, can the Bills have the greatest season in NFL history and other reasonable expectations? Um, so we talked through it. I said, you know, what is the what are the best case scenarios? What are the worst case scenarios? What are the things that could go wrong? Um, so those are the two biggest question marks, I think, for most Bills fans, and for sure for me. So in that situation, the cornerback depth, I think it is a concern, but they they've also run out a lot of like kind of random dudes for five years now that they've been fine you know so um that's the biggest one is if trey white is back to 90 percent of what he was i have no concerns because i mean we've done it with dane jackson and levi wallace and vontae davis and you know ej Gaines and a bunch of you know just random dudes who are over there because when micah Hyde and jordan poyer your safety blanket you know and you can tilt coverage that way and Taron Johnson's the slot and your coverage linebackers are Milano and Edmonds it's not that hard to like just do your job like just don't get roasted in that you know when you can give cushion all the time and the Bills defense is built on give up the underneath stuff rally and tackle and I bet you can't go on a 13 play drive and that that's just all they do they've they have given up the fewest big plays in the league for like five years running. It's what Leslie Frazier and Sean McDermott's defense does. And they're just going to bet, Hey, I bet you don't have the discipline to either continue to run it at us. Cause they, they have completely tilted to today's NFL and said, Hey, we are going to build the best modern pass defense that we can. And if you have the discipline to just keep running it at us, God bless you. And we saw it in the weather game last year with the Patriots. We've seen it in a Colts game here or there. Uh, and every once in a while, you see a team that has the discipline to do it. But most teams don't. Or most teams, all it takes is Josh Allen gets a score or two, and then you can't really keep yourself doing that. And then they've built a modern pass defense where guys can pin their ears back and great coverage. And so I have one, I need Trey White to be healthy by week eight. You know, I don't need him healthy week one. I, I prefer we put him on the pup. I don't, I, I'm fine. I, I don't need him to be there week one, but I need him healthy. And then I need him back to his himself week 12, week 13 and into the playoffs. Um, I need, I don't even care who it is out of Dane Jackson, Kair Elam, Christian Benford, whoever it ends up being, um, just to be passable, just to be functional. Don't be a huge net negative. Like you're going to be our worst defensive player. You're going to be our worst starter on the roster. Um, I just need you not to be horrifically bad that can get picked on. And luckily with the scheme, with the way they build it and with the way the safeties can be a safety blanket, it's kind of hard for it to be like a hemorrhage. It's just going to be annoying. And then it could be better because you're talking about a first round pick that could, there's obviously ceiling there that he could develop into something. On the coaching side of it, I it's hard because Brian Dable was not beloved by this fan base. Yeah. Like Brian Dable was a constant lightning rod of, you know, probably more blame than he should have gotten and then probably more credit than he should have gotten back and forth, depending on where you were in the fan base. Um, he was a huge instrumental part in the development and growth of Josh Allen. But, you know, a lot of the plays and highlights that get called 
he didn't call into the headset, hey, Josh, do the thing where you run around for seven seconds and then find Gabe Davis on the scramble drill on a 40-yard touchdown. Like, that's just not what the play call was. Um, so, you know, I don't know how much of this was his development there. If you look at Dable's results before he got to Buffalo, they're all horrific, but he had horrible quarterbacks. So, I, you know, I don't know how much was Josh's growth, how much was the talent added around them, how much was the play calls. He deserves credit for for that portion of it, but I don't. I'm not as concerned about it as what many people are. Not because I think Ken Dorsey's great, but because I I think it's Josh Allen. Like I I think that so much like he's audible at the line every other play like he's making the decisions on the vast majority of it and the time and chemistry he's put in with Gabe Davis and Stefan Diggs and Dawson Knox and the guys that are there they're the ones that are coming back and talking about it and going through it and then I think Ken Dorsey cannot mess it up I you know and then there might be potential that I think there'll be some stumbling blocks early they'll get some learning curve in there of some things you know you've never he's never called games against you know, a, a Belichick defense. He's never called games against some of these like NFL caliber defense coordinators. People are going to get him here and there. They're going to come up with something that they haven't seen, but they also have to come up with something that Josh Allen's not ready for and has to then trick Ken Dorsey, come up with something Josh Allen's not ready for and have the players to execute that Josh can't just save them anyways. Cause you can trick Ken Dorsey and have something Josh Allen isn't ready for. And then he might just run away from you. And it doesn't matter. And he might throw a touchdown pass anyways when you had the right play call and had it there. You also have to execute. So those layers of it are why it's why the floor is as high as what it is. It takes a really ugly combination. So I'm more nervous about the secondary depth than I am the offensive play calling. But I do think people need to be prepared that, you know, it might not be gangbusters from game one, but, you know, when it's, you know, when last year was regression for Josh Allen and last year was not quite as great because they didn't score 530 points. They only scored 483. Um, and then we're still the hottest offense anyone's ever seen in playoff history. You know, I, I'm I'm assuming the, the bar is still pretty high, but I think those are the two biggest areas of question marks. And if both of them go poorly, then that's where you get into, hey, do they go 10 and seven and open it up where all of a sudden this division's wide open and they really stumbled because both things went the wrong direction. One thing I want to add in with Buffalo, I think that's going unnoticed until I heard Chris Sims talk about it earlier this week is the addition of Aaron Cromer as offensive line coach. I think the bills offensive line is like, look, adding Roger Saffold, David Quisenberry, uh, Bottinger, getting rid of Feliciano, who I know some Giants fans were really excited about, but I know Bills fans were kind of happy to get rid of. I think it's something that's going noticed. Um, my big question still is, I know there's Von Miller, I know there's Ed Oliver. I want to think about what this team would be like if prime Kyle Williams was right up the middle for the Buffalo Bills. I think that would be like, you know, that perfect puzzle piece. It's just like, it just slots into that right spot. Um my only thing, I'm going to say the Bills Mafia won. This is a bit passive-aggressive. Do not celebrate a wild card win again like it's a Super Bowl. I think that was an ultimate downfall. As soon as I heard we are the champions, I said you pissed off the sports gods. The other one is for 
the people who say that the 13 seconds was the reason why they lost, I think it was more the loss. That was a coaching thing about should have just squibbed it up the middle and just ran the clock down. And then, because I still think if it's Bills Bengals in the AFC Championship game, Buffalo's in LA. It's it's Bills Rams. I firmly believe that's what would have happened. This might sound the oh. it, the call was a squib kick. So oh, the the reason wild. that the special teams coordinator resigned that night was because it was a squib kick, and he didn't tell the kicker. Well, so the kicker just kicked it deep. On, on if my- you watch the all twenty two and look back, you see the coverage guys running downfield, turning to the sideline, going like this. Trying like what the hell? You told us it was a squib kick. Why did he kick it out of the end zone? The call in the huddle with yeah. all the players from McDermott was a squib kick. The special teams coordinator and Tyler Bass were over in the net doing one more kick, and the coordinator didn't tell him. I see. I see. I I, I didn't even know that's, that. That's why he's there. now the special teams coordinator for the Jags. I actually didn't know that. After six months of like everyone talks about how overcovered like this sport is, and there's stuff like that that non-Bills fans didn't know as well. Like, well, so it's because McDermott is not McDermott doesn't throw people under the bus. So yeah. he didn't come out in a press conference to tell people that it wasn't formally reported as everything there, but magically the special teams coordinator resigned that night in his office. <laughs> you know, and I, I will say, like, it, I, it is a fair point. And obviously, like, in a devastating loss like that, I don't mean to pour salt in the wound or anything like that. But my my always thought watching that game, I know it's the Chiefs, but why didn't why did their defense play so bad? Because the Bengals' defense the next week played that same offense a lot better. Yeah. So what what happened? Uh, you know, it, there's now that part I think is way more questionable. That part was actual coaching in that, you know, hey, you'd been okay, like through there. And don't get me wrong, it was a crazy shootout back and forth. And sometimes just yeah. the ball gets rolling like yeah. that. And, you know, it's, it's, it, it, yeah, it, it just, it, it kind of happens sometimes. Um, but, you know, with the timing, just play your regular defense, play, you know, play press, keep the safeties over top, you know, just keep an eye out, you know, keep an extra set of eyes on Tyreek Hill. But I'm not worried about, Kelsey's not breaking a 75 yard, you know, play just, you know, I, I think that they should have played. Um, I do think the one schematic difference that the Bengals took from that game was the drop eight, yeah. you know, rush three drop eight. I think that was the one of the big ones Like you didn't, what did four defense alignment on the field matter in that time? You, you knew you weren't going to get there in time because he had to get the ball out. You know, they, I think they could have done that with a rush three drop eight kind of thing, but those are the things that those are actually correctable pieces. Yeah. To, to do going forward but um you know it's it's all the same kind of stuff that it's what they're gonna have as their fuel and that you you know there won't be I, I think when people ask about oh you know are they gonna get you know too are they gonna be listening to their own press couplings are they gonna be too high that will know I think you know there's so much from the disappointment and resentment from last year that I think they'll be very focused very energized from from that standpoint but they still have to do it are you as a fan like worried about like the state you're in right now? Because like I'm, I'm experiencing my team a little bit. I'm, I'm seeing is kind of come up the longest playoff win rankings. Like the bills got it. The Bengals got it. The Browns got it. So now the dolphins are like right in front of the lions and that's it. It's been 20 years. So when you've been as your franchise has been for so long and now you're the front runner, like, does that like, does that concern? Like I'm not concern you, but like, is it a weird feeling? Like, Oh yeah. Does it make you feel like uncomfortable? It's, it's incredibly foreign. I, I don't know what the hell I'm supposed to do. Um, but I we also, 
So the, the way that I lean into that is I tell people, enjoy every second of this. Like, don't take the Lions game for granted. Don't take the Jets game for granted. Like, enjoy every second of this because we don't know how it's going to end. And when people talk about, oh, was last year, you know, was last year, that must have been horrible. But no, last year's freaking awesome. Like, do you have any idea how much fun it is to watch this football team? No, yes. Did it end pretty horribly? And was that, you know... Was I a mess for a week afterwards? Yeah, sure. Did that suck? Yeah. But it was awesome. Like I had 20 weeks of just amazing entertainment for the last two years in a row. And yeah, they didn't end the way that I hoped they would, but it's still awesome. Like it's still incredibly fun. It's great entertainment. And they play an incredibly entertaining brand of football. And our quarterback is probably the easiest guy to root for in the sport. Like it's just, he, he's fun. Like it's, it's cool having just a fun player to root for. So all that kind of stuff is, is great, but we're now, we've always been the scrappy underdog. It's always, you know, Sean McDermott's thing is always, Hey, nobody believes in you, the chips on the shoulders and all that kind of crap like that. It's harder to do that now. It's harder to do. And I am actually impressed. I thought he was going to magically just keep lying to themselves and say, no, Hey, no, nobody. And, you know, find some Nick Wright, Skip Bayless at the moment. Be like, Oh, no, look at this guy. This guy said, you guys suck. Um, And instead he's flipped it the other way and just said, it doesn't matter what they think. You guys haven't proven shit. You guys haven't accomplished anything. It doesn't matter what their expectations are. You guys haven't done it. Show me, prove it to me. You guys haven't done it. So he's leaning into it that way. And I like the way he's approached it. And I like the way the team's reacted to it. One thing I want to, I really like all your points. One crazy, there was two, there was two takes I was going to come at, but one I'm going to back on because I keep saying, I was going to ask, like, oh, who's going to resign? Because obviously Jordan Poyer needs a new contract next year. Dawson Knox needs a new contract. But Bill's resident Bill's guest of mine, Joe Miller, has always told me that he's told me three initials. And that's triple B. And that he'll find a way to get it done. So I was going to come on and say, who's going to walk? Who's going to stay? But I can see a crazy – like, two years ago, I saw a world where I was looking at Matt Milano potentially coming to New England. You know, Boston kid coming home. Nope, signed in Buffalo. Everyone stayed in Buffalo on a discount. Like there's just, uh, and by the way, I've always believed that so, Dawson Knox is a bill for life. That's just me. We, uh, so Knox is on that list at Oliver's on that list of guys coming up for a contract. Yeah. Do you know, going into this off season, we had $3 million in cap space. And now we have like coming in, So we coming into the off season, we had $3 million in cap space. We signed Von Miller, Roger Saffold, David Questenberry, Daquan Jones, Tim Settle, Jordan Phillips. We have $3 million in cap space. He's a magician. Like I, the cap's not real. It's all make it's all make believe. Um, so I, I'm actually our salary cap analysis or analyst for for us, and I go through and I actually do like a cap 101 series. He did all of the things that I used to talk about theoretically of like, well, if they really want to, they could prorate the large portions of the base salary, turn that into a signing bonus and it stretches it out. And you could do it even further if you add void years onto the contract, but he's never really done those things before. Those are all Mickey Loomis tricks. Those are the things that yes. the, the saints do um, where like, no, like I get it. You know, it seems like they're cheating, but no, they're just taking a $25 million salary and they're taking 24 million of it and converted it into a signing bonus. And it was a one year deal, but they added four void years. So then you spread the 24 million over five years and now it's $4.25 million a year. So they took a $24 million cap hit and dropped it by 20 million for this year. And just it's credit card spending, but they just kicked it into the future. The bills did that with everybody. Didn't Dawkins do that as well? Dawkins did it. Um, they they did it with Milano. They did it with uh, Micah Hyde. Um, plus, all the contracts they signed 
they added void years onto the deals. And like Von Miller's cap hit for this year is $5 million. You know, so it's all those different things. That's how this rosters is ridiculous is what it is because they've kind of just pooled everything together. Um, and, you know, people are nervous. Like, oh my gosh, what are they going to do next year? Well, next year they can just, they got one coupon with Josh Allen's new deal. They'll restructure his first year deal. It's like $24 million in cap space the moment they do it. So it's going to be the same thing next year. People are going to be like, oh my gosh, what are they going to do? They're already over the cap and be like, no, they're going to make two moves. They're going to create like $40 million cap space. And then they're going to resend that Oliver and resend, you know, Jordan Poyer and resend Tremaine Edmonds and resend uh, Dawson Knox and keep the band together. Eventually we will hit a line where some people might leave. And, and this year's a good example. They made different choices, but they let Levi Wallace leave. They let Harrison Phillips leave. They let, um, you know, John Feliciano leave, but it wasn't because they couldn't afford it. They just signed Roger Saffold instead. They just signed Daquan Jones instead. They just, you know, went a different direction with the guys. So they actually didn't in the secondary, but they signed somebody everywhere else. Um, Shaq Lawson came back, you know, stuff like that. Um, so it was, you know, little moves like that. But at some point, you know, it is credit card spending. The dude, the bill always comes due. Um, but it's it's a couple years off. It's a couple years off. I really like I really like that answer. I just want to say, like, not not to get too off topic, because I know we already did my team, but I'm glad he brought it up, because that is Dolphin fans, kind of my concern, because unlike, like, his team already paid Josh Allen, so they're already mm-hmm. can, like, get into the void years and the big contracts and all spread, spread the money out. My team, it just seems like, like I mentioned, we had 11 starters on defense come back. It seems like they're primed to lose a lot of guys next summer. Um, obviously, we'll see how the cap spending goes, but they have a lot of big contracts in their books with Xavier Howard, with Teron Armstead, with Tyree Kill. Like when you're paying three guys quarterback money, like it really does start to add up. And like Gasecki, probably not going to be on this team next year. I'll be surprised. I mean, I think he'll be on this team now, but would not shock me if he's traded tomorrow or Tuesday. I don't expect it, but it's in the range of possibilities. Uh, Nick Needham needs an extension. Christian Wilkins needs an extension. A lot of guys are coming due for the Dolphins, which is kind of why for me as a fan personally, even though normally you want like, you know, the second year in the Shanahan offense is usually when the quarterback takes off, like Matt Ryan, his first year. And Matt Ryan's like my dream comp for Tua. Like it's a, it's a prayer. I'm just saying like, if we can find some sort of stylistic comparison, he struggled his first year in the Shanahan system, but really MVP season the second year. But as a Dolphins, we fan, we kind of want to capitalize on this year because I think there's going to be more roster turnover next year. They kind of kept everybody cut their bad players and added a lot of shiny pieces. Whereas next year you start to lose players that matter. So this is why I kind of want them to like, like don't fuck up this year. Like if injuries happen, injuries happen. (laughs) This is the year to really focus on. And then quickly with new England, I look at it with this year, like what Greg was saying, they didn't add a whole lot to replace JC Jackson. I know last year they had the crazy spend series, but Belichick, when he did with a lot of that money was push it to back. He pushed it down the line. So a lot of these guys last year, their base salaries were a lot like Nelson Aguilar last year's cap hit. I think was only like four or 5 million this year. It's like nine. So next year he's off the books and then next year too, the Patriots do have a lot of money to spend. So that's the one thing I feel like a lot of people look at the salary cap. I'm not saying the Patriots going to another cuckoo spending spree. I'm just saying that, Hey, they're going to have the money there so that if this year things don't work out, I'm not looking at little picture. I'm looking at big picture. And I think that's what a lot of teams who are in that middle of the pack series can look at right now. But then also too, the elite teams need to look at that and respect that where it's like, Hey, there's a reason why these men are paid the big box to sit in the offices, crunch the numbers. That's why salary cap analysts is such a big thing. I think really goes unnoticed. It's something I've 
something people on Twitter, I think, are especially with NFL Twitter, are finally starting to notice. Um, my only other kind of hot take for you, Greg, was if the season doesn't go all to plan, is there a world where Sean McDermott's no longer the coach of the Bills after the season? Um, like no playoffs, like that bad. Yeah, no. I think you. Oh, I, I even meant like if it's another divisional round loss, for example. Oh God, no. Okay. Um, okay. So I mean, he's he is. I think around the NFL, more people credit Bean more than McDermott. Mm-hmm. The Pagulas, I don't think do. I, I think they think Sean McDermott fixed this. Like his culture and him coming in and cleaning everything up in that organization is what fixed this and set it on the right path. And Brandon Bean's a awesome partner and they are really, really good side by side. But I think it's 51-49 McDermott in their eyes. Um, so short of the only thing that I could see, honestly, it, I mean, besides some weird off the field something that we don't, okay. you know, which, I mean, it's not, he's a, crazy like man of faith and everything like that um is i guess if him and josh allen butted heads like he the one person that they would pick over mcdermott is josh allen so i don't i've never seen that i don't think that's a thing um but i guess in theory if the season went really sideways and got weird and you know drama yeah and and the allen and mcdermott butted heads you know i i guess it's possible but it would take something crazy so it's a kind of a mystery to me still that the Pagulas are as involved with the Buffalo Sabres, but not the Buffalo Bills, because we ultimately know, I, I know Big Rap probably doesn't know much about this, but basically Sabres fans hate Kim Pagula because she basically put her hand way too far into the cookie jar. And as someone who frequents Buffalo and knows that at a Sabres game he attended in April, showing OJ Howard on the Jumbotron got a big let's go Buffalo chant going. Meanwhile, Josh Allen is the native son. I know that. I completely respect that. But at the same time, too, I know that is a football town just starving for a winner. And I actually, when Joe was on here last in April, he talked about, we talked mainly about the new stadium because it was right after the stadium got announced. And he's basically saying how better it is that the team's winning. It's exciting compared to, say, if 10 years ago, the stadium announcement was happening. So it's just, I feel like right now with Buffalo, it's one of those, and I'm going to say this to Bill's Mafia, even though there's some some of you that I like, Greg, you're in those books, and then there's some people on Bill's Mafia I look at, and I'm like, okay, uh, well, we have we'll, some really obnoxious ones. Yes, enjoy the ride, but don't take it for granted. That's like like you said, don't don't take it for granted. Trust me, I know it's kind of weird coming from me, someone who's experienced a lot of it, but look, I'm on the opposite end now, and I know that winning's there, winning's fun, but it's when the team, if the team struggles, it's you can't hit the panic button. But then even like you're right. Cause I look at their November as a perfect example from what you were saying earlier, the Jacksonville loss followed by the whooping of the jets. But then Jonathan Taylor coming into Buffalo four touchdowns. I actually bet Colts plus seven that week. Nice. Um, and then going into new Orleans and whomping the saints on Thanksgiving. And then the, the, the bad weather game in, in Buffalo against new England. If there's those levels of consistency there where say, Say even if the Colts game happens, I just think it's like because I think every year, no matter how good or bad you are in the NFL, your team is always going to have that one bad loss. It's always going to yeah, happen. Yeah. Like for the Patriots, their one blowout loss just happened to be the Saints and then the wild card game. Besides that, the Patriots didn't. If you look back at their schedule from last year, there really wasn't a bad loss. 
So that's what I'm just going to say to Bills Mafia. And I just want to ask the McDermott thing because I was curious because, like, you know how you see it sometimes in coaching where a coach underachieves and then he's just let go like the Yankees did with Joe Girardi and then when they brought in Aaron Boone. The only other thing I'm going to say is I still think that the I know everyone likes to think the 13-second kick was the worst call. No, the worst call was Todd Bowles calling a zero blitz late in the fourth quarter against the Rams earlier that day. So the the comment you made about the ownership, um, I don't think Terry and Kim Pagula are anything special as owners. I think they're kind of bumbling, just billionaires. But the the only difference is they hired Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott, and they've completely given 100% control to them. That's all I can ask. And then every time Brandon Bean comes to them and says, hey, I'd like to do this, they cut a check. That's all I care. Yeah, And they, they write a lot of checks. Meanwhile, they didn't do that with hockey, and now we know why the hockey has been so bad for so long. Yeah. I don't know how much attention you pay to the Sabres. I do a little bit more, but that's just because I'm so close and the tickets are a lot yeah. cheaper for me. Yeah. As long as your, if your owner spends money and just gets out of the way, that's all you can ask for is a fan. Like, yep. literally, like... Um, my... And the third one is um, make good hires. Yes. Like, they still have to make good hires, then they have to spend money and get out of the way. And yeah. right now, the the... The Pagulas have done all three in football. They made excellent hires. They spend money and they get out of the way. The complete opposite of what they did for the Savers. But... Yep. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> but they don't spend money. They make terrible hires and they get their hands in there. Yeah, I know Like Savers fans hate Kim because Kim was like president of Hockey Ops. But yeah, that's just the thing with them. Um, but before we go, I want to end on two notes. One, I think I want to do it, but I feel like it's going to be too tough to say at least one nice thing about the New York Jets just because Danny's not here and <laughs> they're the team we all picked for fourth place. But I, I, if we can do it if we want. The other one, too, is is a coach from – let's do either conference you think that is on the hot seat and probably will be fired at the end of the season. We're, but I, I'm not questioning. I presume you mean not the obvious choices, right? Like we can't just say Matt Rule. Like that's no. no, no, no. Don't say Matt Rule because I think everyone knows that unless Baker Mayfield – has an MVP caliber season and then they win the NFC South, he's getting fired at the end of this year, even though David Tepper's paying him an ungodly amount of money. I'll say Jets. Look, Sasuke, I like Sauce Garner a lot coming out. Like I can't like change my tune and all of a sudden say he sucks just because he got drafted by the Jets. Like I was really, really high on him. So like that's a start in building their secondary. I think they have some interesting offensive pieces. The problem is it's kind of like what we talked about how with the Colts, the Jets – fans that are hoping for like this big breakout in year two of the Wilson Robert Sala regime. It's hard to do that in this division because how are they going to steal wins in this division? Even if you think the Patriots are going to be bad, Belichick scheming against Zach Wilson was disastrous last year for the Jets, like, like destroyed, like absolute massacre, both games. So like, so for that, for that reason, like it's, it's hard to see the Jets, like stealing wins in their division. If they don't steal wins in their division, it's really hard to be like a 500 team. So they have some, I like the receiver unit. I like Brees Hall. I like Sus Gardner. I think Wilson can improve, but he has a lot to prove because he's probably the furthest behind of all the, honestly, maybe any quarterback in the NFL in terms of their growth. Like that, that's how we don't think of it that way, but that's how bad his rookie year was. Statistically, it was at that level. It was Jared Goff 2016 bad, like according to the numbers. So I think he can grow. I don't think the division allows them to grow, but maybe they surprise people. That's my Jets comment. I don't know if Greg has anything. The, the nicest thing I can say is I've liked their draft for three years in a row. Yep. Three years in a row, they have like 
five or six guys and i'm like oh why don't we grab that hey why is why is bryce hall falling i want to grab him and like yeah. every single year i'm like god i like so many of their picks and then they get to the jets and they put on the uniform and it doesn't matter um but prior to that i do like the drafts at some point you know joe douglas can't just be the guy that you like their drafts um i'll say this in a slightly different way at some point Chris Greer can't just be the guy that like makes good trades and accumulates good talent. At some point you have to pick good players with the, with the picks you accumulate. And the same thing, Joe Douglas seems if you combine those two would be terrifying. Um, but at some point Joe Douglas has to just not just be the guy who picks good players. Like you have to actually build a team that produces on the field or, or has cohesiveness. Um, so that's that next step for them. Um, my coach, Somebody, I mean, rules very, very, very obvious one. Um, I'm going to say Dennis Allen with the Saints. I think that he's kind of, I think that's the biggest coaching downgrade that nobody's talking about. I think, you know, Sean Payton was such a schematic advantage and Dennis Allen was a disaster as a coach and that maybe Pete Carmichael just makes it all okay and that he just covers all those things up. But I don't know. I, I'm I'm nervous about that in New Orleans, and I could see that going sideways. And Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, um, my, my dad's a Saints fan, so I'm a bit of a quasi-Saints mm. fan. I still look at that team, and I'm just like, they can find a way. I just don't know how much. I, I'm not saying they're going to be out here challenging the box because I'm never going to pick against 12, but – they're that team to me that until they prove that they're not as good as we think they are, I'm still going to think that they have, I'm not saying Super Bowl for them, but I'm just saying there's going to be there. The, the, I look at them this year as the same way I look at the Pittsburgh Steelers. Hmm. I look at them in that exact same category, but I can see a world. Cause look, Pete Carmichael, for some reason, never once has gotten a sniff at a head coaching job. What if Dennis Allen has a bad time? They part ways with him at the end of the year. And Pete Carmichael is the Saints head coach in 2023. It's just something like that. So that's all I'm going to say about the Saints. And I'll just say very quickly, Salah's your name. That's it. And I'm done with that. Mm, Because, mm. like, my Dolphins have the same problem. Like, if Joe Douglas has another losing season, that's three years on the job. They might want to fire him. And you run into the same problem that my fan base had that the Giants had last year, where they wanted to fire Gettleman, but Joe Judge had only been the coach for two years. And they weren't really sure what to do and ended up making a clean sweep. So that's what I think could happen with the Jets because they want to get rid of the GM if they're bad. And then Salah's kind of caught in the middle. Like, because my Dolphins did the reverse many times over the years where you would fire one and not the other and then constantly be flip-flopping head coach and GM throughout a decade. So the smart thing to do is to either keep both or kill both. So I think that's a risk because it is the Jets. Woody Johnson's back from New York. They are projected to be bad again. That That's easy to see how that can happen. But that's it. That's all I want to say. I agree with that. If I had to say a positive thing about them, I'm the same way. I like their draft class. Um, their quarterback has a good taste in women. Um, but I think with them, it's a, sh- it's literally a shit or get off the pot kind of season where it's like, I know Zach's in his second year, but it's just, it's the market we've seen. Like, look, we've seen how much Daniel Jones gets teared to shreds deservedly. So, but I think if Zach doesn't show any improvement and they go, they, they haven't won a divisional game in three in almost three years. If they go 0 and 6 again, and that's 0 and 18 since 20, it's 0 and 18. That's mm. not a good look more than anything. Like, you know how Harbaugh is measured off, like Big Rob was saying earlier, he's measured off beating Ohio State, 
at eventually point, you got to look at that and go, okay, especially for Robert Sala to go 0 and 12 against the division. And I don't think any of those games were particularly close. Maybe one of the Miami games, but well, one, of, one of the Dolphins games is close. Yeah. yeah. One of the Dolphins games. But besides that, most of the games have been fairly one sided, even Sam Darnold, Zach Wilson, regardless. So, but with the Jets, that's the only thing we say is I like the draft class and look, hey, their quarterback slept with a friend's mom. That's, I think, every guy's weird fantasy when they're a young adult slash teenager. Um, coaches for firing. I don't like to go this way because I like him, but there's a part of me that thinks if they suck truly that the Dan Campbell experiment can be over a lot sooner mm. than we thought we it could begin because, and also another easy answer would have been Lovey Smith because we don't know what's going on in Houston, but with Dan Campbell, I look at it where I'm like, it's like a car, you know, Hey, this car's got a lot of great bells and whistles, but when it's time to fix it, the bills are very expensive. And with the lions, you got to show something. I know they can say, oh, hey, we can dump Jared Goff next year. Get another – we can get a quarterback, C.J. Stroud, Bryce Young. But I think even with Jared Goff and the pieces you have around him, you got to show something. Go 5-12. and 12. I think 5-12 and 12 secures his job. But if it's another three- to four-year win, uh, win window and Week 18 is one of your pity wins like it was last year against Green Bay – I just don't think that's enough to cut it to last him another year. Also, another easy answer would have been Mike McCarthy of the Green Bay, of uh, the Dallas Cowboys. Excuse me. I like it. I like it. Yeah. Okay. Oh, so uh, my hot take is that Sean Payton is their head coach next year. I like that a lot. I think that's yeah. a very, very good prediction. Uh, I had made a comment earlier and I wanted to make sure I followed up on what the accurate number is. So I'll ask the two of you what do you think the Buffalo Bills point differential has been in the division the last two years? Well, Plus the or Dolph- minus point. The Dolphins game. The Dolphins games alone have been over a hundred, so or close to it. So I, I'd say probably like one hundred and twenty-five. Weirdly enough, the two Patriots games that the Dol- the Bills dominated were at Gillette Stadium, thirty-six. I'm gonna say one hundred and sixty-five. Two fourteen. Oh my god! The Bills point differential. In the division, the last two seasons is 214 with an average point differential, an average win of 16.5. They're winning by two touchdowns and a field goal on average this has got, this in is, the last two seasons. This has got to end week three. <laughs> Raheem Mostert will be healthy week three. Armstead will be healthy week three. You're not wrong. Yeah. You're not wrong. Ken, Ken not Dorsey wrong. still – it's not later still in the fig- year. Yeah, Ken Dorsey's still figuring it out. No, hey, that, outside, that outside zone that you keep saying they're going to give us, give to us, and Shan, McDaniel will have will have the discipline to keep calling those plays. There you like, go. That's, he lives that's, off that's, that's the recipe right there. That's the recipe. Let's hope. All right, guys, this was a lot of fun. This is great. This was a lot of fun, guys. And, folks, thank you very much for listening. This has been episode 175 of YWC Football Talk, NFC preview show coming Tuesday night. We got a bunch of other stuff. So let's buckle up, go boys and girls. Football season is just beginning. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people. He, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from JeffWoodsRadio.com. Hi, I'm Logan Anderson, host of the Say the Damn Score podcast. On my show, I deep dive into the sports broadcasting business by, you guessed it, talking to sportscasters. 
The show has featured big names like Bob Costas, Kenny Albert, and Vern Lundquist, as well as many up-and-coming broadcasters who you may not know yet, but you will know soon. Whether you're looking for professional development as a sportscaster, different career paths, or if you just want to be entertained by hearing some of the best storytellers in the world tell their own stories, this podcast is for you. You can subscribe to the podcast on all major podcast platforms, or you can visit our website, SayTheDamnScore.com.